Bring it in. Episode 58. Creeping our way up to the century mark of the read option. Back and better than ever. As our good friend, Mike Greenberg, always says. Mike Greenberg's America's good friend. You know, I think at this point he's on everything that ESPN does. So I think he's just America's friend. Uh, we got a full house today. Our man Vito, after spanning the country, building skyscrapers, teaching America's youth, uh, and uh, and honestly just being an all-around hardworking. We called you the hardest man in engineering, hardest working man in engineering. Maybe not the hardest. Man. Also the hardest. <laughs> Might be the hardest too. Yeah, <laughs> take that for what for what you. <laughs> um, Vito is back, uh, and we're super happy to have him. And our man Scotty's going through a Michael Jordan flu game right now. This is going to be Scotty's yeah. best pot ever, but he's been battling. He called out sick from work, so I hope none of your coworkers listen to the pod. So I was going to be like, man, Scott called out from work, but I heard he he did the podcast. So how sick could he actually be? Uh, but both mm. of you guys making the time for the listeners, for the fans. Pods been doing great at Read Option Pod uh, on all social medias. How are you, gents? It's great to see both of you on a Zoom screen again. It's been a couple of weeks since we've had the whole crew back. Yeah, man, I'm glad to be back. Like you said, I was a lot of travel last week. There was a moment when I was in Chicago flying to Cleveland and I got a notification on my phone to check into my flight from Cleveland to Philly the next day. And I was like, God damn it. I'm not even there yet. Like that's, that was my week last week. Happy to be in one location. Well, two, I'm, I'm flying once this week, which is good. Only once. And uh, so Phoenix, Chicago, Cleveland, Philly, all in a week. That was all within 24, 48 hours, 36 hours about. Yeah. Cause I, I did a red eye from, from Phoenix to Chicago and then Chicago to Cleveland and then Cleveland stick around for the Browns game. And then I flew back to Philly. So uh, busy, um, busy week, but you know uh, it was good. It was really fun, man. And I'm, I'm just glad to be back and talk some, talk some sports, get back to the end of the swing of things. We did. Uh, we did tease last week on Thursday or Friday's pod. Um, that we we asked you, and it wasn't had nothing to do with work and nothing else. We were just like we requested and demanded that Vito be boots on the ground for this game. It was not an option. There was no read option. This was a, a single this single play, one option, just a little halfback dive up the middle. Vito, you're getting your ass to that stadium. So tell us about that a little bit. How was uh, the experience? Obviously, it didn't go great for your Broncos. Uh, we were all on the Broncos. We thought you were going to add a little bit of juju, but yet Ke- Case Keenum revenge game yeah. against the Denver Broncos. Well, their, uh, their offensive line was incredible. But yeah, in terms of the environment, like you were asking. Yeah, just how was the whole experience? I mean, like, because the dog pound, to be there for a Cleveland win, I imagine, was actually pretty fun. It was cool, especially a night game. Even though it's Thursday, like, it's after work. Uh, the, the feeling was a little different downtown. If you've anyone has been to Cleveland downtown, it's the infrastructure is well built in terms of, like, they have – bigger roads than they really need. Um, and the population in downtown has gone down, obviously with COVID like offices aren't fully in, but around five o'clock, it's not even too busy, but like on a football day on a Sunday, even like that place fills up, it gets jam packed You can't go anywhere. They like, you know, block off streets and parking and everything like that. So it was really cool to see at night, like that to happen early. Um, like, you know, that was like five, six o'clock. Everyone just stayed downtown. No one went home. Everyone just stayed there and hung out. And uh, a great um, shout out Vocon, the interior designers on, on uh, a, a billion building. And, and they, uh, this company, man, they put on a tailgate. I've been to some tailgates. I've been to two Penn State tailgate of the years. I've been to multiple 
uh, stadiums, even in, in like Southern California, which is, I know not known for its tailgate scenes, but like uh, even Penn state, Ohio state, Michigan, but been around a little bit. The Browns Vocon tailgate was the best tailgate I've ever been to in my life. And I'm sorry, Harmons, if you're listening, but they had two brick oven pizzas roll in on trailers. Wow. They had a DJ. They had a full like uh, bar that rolled up. It was incredible. And there were multiple setups like that. It was like a company sponsored thing. They do it once a year, but it was seriously so much damn fun. Um, beer pong ran the table, never lost shout out your boy. And just like represented read option pod as best I could, but no, it was an incredible atmosphere. Walking over the stadium was great. The fans um, being Broncos fans, like they hate us a little more because of the eighties and yeah. LA with the drive and the fumble. Mm-hmm. So there was a little more uh, shit giving than, than a, a usual game, I would say, but it was also really fun and no one was super disrespectful to me. And like, it was all in good nature. So they, they I, welcomed you into the the family, even though it's, it's, you know, you're wearing the op. Did you wear a Broncos jersey? Oh yeah. You, I was yeah. all out in Broncos gear. And uh, it was really funny because everyone was giving me trash. I would say they hated me in with open arms, right? It was like, Oh, come here. We want to just talk a little shit. And then like, we'll be friends, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it was a good. It was a really good experience. Shout out Browns fans. You guys are pretty awesome. Going to, going to give you a little bit of shit, but then we're also going to give you some beard, some food and, uh, and let, yeah. let you come in. I, I mean, look, this is what happens when, when certain fan bases, you know, it, I even go back to like, you know, the Raiders leaving Oakland. Like there are certain fan bases in the NFL that the intensity of them does rival a lot of college tailgating, a lot of college fan support. Right. Yes. And we've been at the, you know, unfortunate side that a lot of those fan bases have struggled. You know, the Browns are one of those teams, you know, they didn't want a playoff game for 27 years and didn't make the playoffs for what, 18 years or however long it was in between playoffs. And now that we see the Browns going, you know, going again, like they have a full percussion, you know, band that goes around playing everything that are awesome. It's like 40 people all with cymbals and drums and snares and everything going off. Like, and they're, they're really, really good. And those are some of the things we lack when, you know, fan base, when certain teams don't necessarily live up to the expectations that the fan bases have, but once they get rolling, it's as good as anything, man. You know, mm-hmm. Cleveland fans, you got a lot of Ohio State, you know, crossover there with a, yep. with a lot of Cleveland Browns fans. And, uh, you know, I think, look, the Browns obviously are in a weird spot, but that was a huge win on Thursday night. We can get into some of that game here uh, as well. You know, going into it, obviously the big headline, Baker Mayfield wasn't able to play. He's somehow made his torn labrum and his non-throwing shoulder even worse. Uh, he fell on it two weeks ago in the worst way possible. Um, in that game against, I think it was Arizona that they end up losing to. And Case Keenum comes out and, and does a really good job, but the story wasn't even Case Keenum, it was Dearness Johnson. Uh, you know, undrafted kid out of South Florida, puts on an absolute show. Uh, the You know, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were loving the, the – this, this guy was out on a fishing boat in Florida going after mahi-mahi, um, you know, at, for work, not even for like, hey, let's go catch some fish on this guy's nice – no, he was like working on a fishing boat before he got the call to go to the, uh, I don't know if it was the, I think it was the AAF or the yeah, XFL. Yeah. It was the AAF because I remember seeing uh, leading up to the game, he wrote a, a letter and sent it out to each of the uh, Alliance of American football teams. I, uh, crazy. I'm, I'm partial to the hots, the hot shots, the Arizona hot shots. My, my coworker, Rick Neuheisel was the head coach of the hot shots. So we were, we were locked into that during the days of the AAF, which was short-lived, to, to say the yeah. least. Um, but it's cool to see, you know, guys have gotten opportunities. We've seen guys like Garrett Gilbert, who's one backup quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams, right? We've seen a lot of guys kind of make their way through. Um, what was 
and I mentioned this when they lost that game to Arizona about the Browns, you know, the Browns have when healthy, the best offensive line in football. And in that game yeah. against Arizona, they were missing both of their starting tackles and, and one of their interior offensive linemen as well. And it was evident, you know, they weren't able to really do much. And Kareem Hunt was, was diving over people and hurling people until the point where he you know, ends up straining his calf. And luckily for him, you know, he's, he's not done for the year. It's not an Achilles, like what it looked like at first. But when that Browns team has that full offensive line, and this goes to show you the value of having those big uglies up front that can really change games. It takes games over completely, and uh, Cleveland definitely did that on Thursday night, even with a backup quarterback, even with a backup running back. Yeah, I mean, I got to say it was a very impressive game from an offensive line standpoint. They had push all day. They were running all day. They were forcing our players in the secondary to make tackles, and, and like it was um, just a really impressive display. I couldn't believe that Denver had any business being a part of that game, being close in the fourth quarter, um, but – and, and shout out, by the way, shout out to my boy, Johnny Stanton. Caught the touchdown pass to the end. He went to my mm-hmm. high school. He's Did a he really? quarterback. Yeah, yeah, great dude. Uh, he was Grant Calgatero's quarterback. Um, he played at Stanford, and he bulked up, man. He's playing fullback now. So uh, that that's pretty awesome. You know, he was pretty athletic. And and anyway, I uh, I really – oh, I'm sorry. No, Johnny Stanton was um, – man, was he Grant's or was he before Grant? He played at uh, – yeah, he no, he did he did play at SM, but I think he might have been right before Grant. But either way, great kid. Um, really, really proud of him for like going from a quarterback and working your ass off to put your body in shape to be a fullback and to play and to catch a touchdown in an NFL game. Good for him. Absolutely. So before we move on to the Sunday games, though, Vito, we do have to bring up the the bet we made before the season. We have to check in because after starting three and oh, yeah, we felt very confident about the Broncos and and for Forgive me if I forget, because we we I know I did this the second time we brought it up. Uh, I know I wrote it down somewhere, so I will go back and double check. But was it double digit wins? Was that the number we had to get to double digits? Yes. Okay. I so, so. Well, we will say double digits for the bet. It may have been nine. It may have been winning record, but it, I, let's go with double. And it was we'll, it was either there. double digits or like eleven or twelve wins, but I think it was double digits. I think it was double. Um, and so right now, after starting off three and zero, the Broncos have reeled off four straight losses so sitting at three and four the remaining schedule right now they'd have to win seven more games and this is what they have left on their schedule they have washington which at home which is definitely a winnable game mm-hmm. at dallas probably not winnable home against the eagles definitely winnable winnable uh home against the chargers probably a loss at kansas city we'll get into the chiefs later but no idea what to make of the chiefs right now then you have detroit cincinnati Las Vegas Chargers Chiefs. I'm not sure if I'm seeing seven wins out of that group. I don't think I am either. <laughs> like, I got to say this team, like, I think it, it had to do with, especially with the Raiders and how they're playing. I think when I looked at this early, I thought those were two wins and I thought we get one against the Chargers. I don't know if we get any against any AFC West opponents. Maybe we get some against the Chiefs after what we've been seeing, but man, I, I, I have faith that our team can turn it around. Maybe Judy gets healthy. Maybe we get some of these weapons back out there and we can spread it around a little more. But, I mean, I can't tell you. I, there were times in that game on Thursday where I was yelling for Drew Locke. I love Teddy, but he's just not pushing the ball. He's not yeah. doing anything to force the offense, and we don't have the push on the line. You have to have a guy who's willing to take a shot. And the most frustrating thing is you have him in there so he doesn't turn it over. He throws a pick in the red zone that Drew Locke would not have thrown. Drew Locke would have rocketed that thing and not thought twice about it. 
Teddy double pumped and then threw it and it was short and he got picked. It was an easy interception. So I, I think it was, there was frustration watching that. If this continues, if Teddy plays like this, there's no chance we have at, at getting to 10 wins. Um, but I, I think we have to either turn around or, or we might have to switch back to Drew Locke if it keeps going this way. Four in a row is bad. And the offenses look bad in each of those games. Yeah. And the thing that's, I mean, the one positive is that I do feel like I can run the ball. Um, I just don't feel like they're committing enough, enough to it. But when Teddy is, is being aggressive, pushing the ball, which you see, especially in the fourth quarter and later parts of the game, the offense moves pretty well. You know, there are shots there. Teddy has missed a couple here, you know, here and there. But I think getting Jerry Judy back is going to be big. Um, but to pull off seven wins here, I mean, I see Washington, even if everything breaks right, right like Washington has to be a win, Philly has to be a win, Lions have to be a win. That means you have to then win four more games against Dallas, the Chargers twice, the Chiefs twice, the Bengals, and the Raiders. Yeah, I just – I don't I, – I could see maybe two from that group, you know, um, that just traded for a linebacker today. But the Broncos and the Panthers, for that matter, definitely ended up being more uh, pretenders than actual contenders. Um, all right, let's dive into some of Sunday's action here. I'll, we'll just be upfront with it, right? This was not a good weekend of football. And I will contest that I would take this weekend over any other weekend you have in the spring. You know, I'll take a weekend watching football like this over any summer day when you're like, just give yes. me something to watch on the weekends. So it's not that like, you know, don't love it. We obviously the three of us are big football guys. Like we're perfectly content watching 20 plus hours of football a weekend. But if you're comparing it to some of the other things we've seen both in college and in pro, this is not what you're looking for in terms of the most entertaining weekend. Um, some crazy outcomes. And I'll, I think we should start with this game because I think it's the game that has been dominating most of the headlines moving forward since all this happened. And that was the Cincinnati and Baltimore game. Um, I got to give a massive shout out to our man, Scotty, because almost three weeks ago, two and a half, almost three weeks ago, Scotty said on this podcast that Cincinnati was the best team in the AFC North and that Joe Burrow was the best quarterback in the AFC North. And I'm, I'm not yet going to say that Joe Burrow is better than an, a proven MVP and a guy like Lamar Jackson that we've seen do unbelievable things, though Lamar Jackson is hard to compare to any quarterback in the NFL because he's so uniquely talented. Um, I think he, I, I think the Bengals and the Ravens are pretty similar teams in terms of their upside. I actually like Cincinnati a little bit better because I think Baltimore does this. Baltimore has these letdown games under John Harbaugh. They always have under John Harbaugh. Doesn't mean they won't go off and, and be a playoff team and make a run and even win a Super Bowl like they did with Joe Flacco in 2012. But they have these letdown games. And we saw it against Detroit, which they arguably should have lost that game against the Lions. Uh, if it wasn't for Justin Tucker hitting a 66-yard field goal, they would have lost to a team that's now 0-7. Cincinnati is a team that they take every game seriously. They compete in every single game. Even if it's against a subpar team, they put good, they play tough against really good teams. And they also play well against teams that are definitely below them talent wise. They have to be the surprise of the, of the season. I'm not ready to put them in that top tier yet because they're still young. They still have a lot more to prove, but I'm curious for both of you guys sitting right now and Scotty will go to you first. Where do you guys sit and how do you view the Bengals to, through seven weeks of the season? Because right now they're 
the number one seed in the AFC, which if you had said that, you know, coming into the season that after week seven, the Bengals are the, the number one seed in the AFC, there's no chance that anybody believes. Get amongst it. I'm telling you right now. The Bengals are a legit team, and I said this in in our in our group chat with uh, with our fantasy football league. Somebody brought up how good the Bengals were, and I was talking about my take on this podcast. And I said I I might even throw the, start throwing them in the conversation with the Bills right now for the best team in the AFC. Wow, they're the most they're the most complete. Okay, uh... all all of the Ravens' ineptitudes were were shown on on Sunday because. Cincinnati's defense for so I'll give you that that they're similar teams on offense. Um, they're they're about as explosive. Um, only Cincinnati's doing it in mostly in the pass game, but they're getting a lot out of Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan and Uzama apparently. Um, He's but, a beast. So they have, yeah, he is. And so they have they've scored 189 points um, this year, and and 128 points is what the defense has given up. That's the lowest, second lowest to the Bills in the AFC. So I know that that there's a lot more that goes into this, but but literally just the eye test, the way that that Jamar Chase opens up the running game, the way that that chemistry is has uh, erupted on the offense, the way that Joe Mixon is finally getting a push and and running well um, and and making good decisions, um, it just to me solidifies the fact that they they got one end of of the the football covered now they go on the other side of the ball and they're shutting teams down they have the second lowest points against in uh in the AFC so uh i don't think anybody expected that from cincinnati's defense i know i've said that before but but this is the most complete team to me uh, or one of the most complete teams in in the AFC if not the NFL yeah, man, I, I got to say, I, I just, I don't think I'm there yet with them. And here's why. Um, when you look at who they've played and beaten, right? The Ravens was impressive. That was the win. But outside of that, they beat the Lions, the Jaguars, the Steelers, and the Vikings. I don't think anyone's saying any of those teams are on fire, especially the Steelers at the point when they had that, that three-game, four-game slump. They've lost to the Packers, and they lost to the Bears. They lost to the Bears in week two. So we got to remember that. and. They upcoming, they play the Jets. So, I mean, they're going to continue the streak, hopefully. I mean, if that, that would be like the biggest upset. Uh, but they're going to probably going to beat the Jets. And then the week after that, and hopefully we'll see where Baker's at and what's going on and everything. But it's the Browns and Bengals Sunday, uh, November 7th. And I'm really excited to see what happens there. A- after that week, they have a bye week. So this is going to be the case where I, I'm, I want to wait and see what happens against that game against the Browns. Um, how their defense handles Brown's offensive line, how really Joe Burrow looks against two elite pass rushers um, and a pretty, a pretty good secondary when they're all healthy in, in Cleveland. So um, Denzel Ward, uh, even, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget his name. Rudy Williams. Yeah. And, and I, I just want to see how they're looking um, against a formidable team. I just don't think they've played that many formidable teams. And I, I think the Ravens are too inconsistent of a formidable team, if that makes sense. They have a very high high, yeah. but their low is pretty bad. So I want to see them against someone a little more consistent um, like, like Cleveland. I mean, I, as much I do agree uh, with you, Vito. I would say I'm probably somewhere in the middle between the two of you. 
I'm I'm not quite ready to say I think they're the best team in the AFC, but I think they're pretty damn close. Got to remember, too, if Zach McPherson hits that field goal from, what, 52 yards, whatever it was, against the Packers in that crazy game with all the missed kicks, they beat the Packers in regulation. Otherwise, you know, they end up losing in overtime. And there were all these mixed, missed kicks going back and forth, and he missed that kick by all of a foot. So if the Packers are as good as many of us think they are, which is one of the top, you know, probably four, maybe five teams in the NFL, if not even higher than that, then they're right on par with them. And yes, they played them at home, but to go to Baltimore, that's a tough place to play. That's a tough stadium. That crowd gets really talked about crowds at the beginning of the pod and how invested they get. Baltimore has some rowdy, rowdy fans. And to do that in Baltimore in a divisional game, to absolutely break the doors off of them, uh, you know, Jamar Chase is, is obviously the guy that needs to be talked about. Eight catches, over 200 yards. He had, what, two touchdowns. Um, Jamar Chase is, is an absolute freak. He's on pace to absolutely shatter Randy Moss's rookie record, which is long thought to be one of the most, like, unbreakable rookie it records is. of all time. And he's about to shatter that by over 200 yards in 16 games, by the way, not including the extra game, like, including if you just average it on a 16-game schedule – he is on pace to break Randy Moss's rookie record, which is unbelievable. He has been in a revelation, you know, and when, when we go back to when we were talking about the draft and everything else, there is, this is the reason why I was so high on this guy, you know, and for as much as like Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle, who have both looked pretty, like honestly pretty good. They're just being completely overshadowed. Like Jalen Waddle and Devonte Smith have both been better than, Jerry Judy and, and Henry Ruggs were last year and even CD lamb to a, to a certain degree, but Jamar chase is setting the bar so high for rookie wide receivers this year that it's just tough for teams to compare. I'll, I'll say this, Joe Burrow's a guy that I just never feel comfortable betting against. I, I just, I look, I see him so in such a high light as a leader. He's Joe cool. You know, he really just is a unique person and the arm talent's not special, you know, but there's certain he's athletic enough, the way he can move around the pocket. Like Joe Burrow is going to be, and this is all, by the way, like just a couple weeks, not even a year removed from shredding everything in his knee. And he's leading this team to a five and two record, beating the Steelers, which Cincinnati hasn't seen in a long time, beating the Ravens in Baltimore, which Cincinnati hasn't seen in a long time, should have beaten Green Bay, arguably, and were a field goal away from beating the Bears. I mean, these guys are seven, eight points away and a couple of missed kicks away from being undefeated through seven weeks. And I think that says a lot about the character of this team. And so they're still young. They still are going to face some more tests. Like you said, they have the Jets and then, you know, the Browns and then they hit that bye. But after that, you got the Raiders, you got the Chargers, you got the Ravens again, Chiefs, and then the Browns. You know, that, that's a tough way to finish out your season with a couple of frisky teams in there like the 49ers and the Broncos who have no, no fear of going in and potentially trying to cause an upset against a team like Cincinnati. So it's too early to say that they're definitively the best team in the AFC, but they're absolutely in the conversation. And if Joe Mixon continues to stay healthy, which is a question that people, especially fantasy owners, have been asking forever, you know, as long as he continues to stay healthy, this team's going to be good, and they're going to be good for a long time. And uh, if you're a Bengals fan, you have to be just over the moon, man. I mean, I love watching Joe Burrow play. And uh, for all the people, myself included, who said you should have gone with Penny Sewell, they didn't. They drafted Jamar Chase, and that has absolutely paid dividends for them. Um, 
Next game I want to get into here, and it's definitely not one of the most competitive games, but it's another one of those games that people have been talking about. The Tennessee Titans um, just absolutely dismantling the Chiefs. The Chiefs through seven weeks are three and four, guys, and their wins are uninspiring to say the least. Uh, This team feels broken and not even in a sense of like, hey, is it possible for them to go, like they have all the talent. You know, the offensive line's been pretty good. Mahomes has been bad the last couple of weeks. I, I My argument for taking them against Tennessee was Tennessee is down both of their starting cornerbacks. You know, Mahomes is going to take over after he pushed the ball and looked really good in the second half against Washington. One of the things we do a terrible job of in sports media is throwing in the context of what's going on in their day-to-day lives, right? We see them max four or five times a week throughout practice, right? You know, you see some practice clips, you see some press conference clips, you see them after the games on Sundays, and then you see them on Sunday. And everything else, all of this, think about every hour you spend of your day talking with people, everything. like These guys have that too, right? They have lives, they have everything going on. The doubt, the lack of confidence that has to be circulating around that locker room right now is absolutely playing a factor in this. I don't know why. I don't, I, I, maybe it's just, hey, that fumble by Clyde Edwards Elaire on the Sunday night in week two against the Ravens, right? Uh, losing a tight game against the Chargers, which was your first conference game. And you think, oh man, you know, it's, it's right there. Even week one, they escape, escape the Cleveland Browns. There's nothing about this team that seems to be building confidence. And then you, you tack on the, the Buffalo Bills, the team we beat to go to the Super Bowl last year, beat the crap out of us on Sunday night by 18 points. Like, there seems to be something with this, this Kansas City team that is bigger than just whatever the X's and O's on the field are. And I don't know if there's an answer to be able to fix that midseason because in all of the time we've seen Mahomes in the last three years, the MVPs, the multiple Super Bowl appearances, the Super Bowl championship, we've never seen him look the way, even as, a, as his first year starting, we've never seen him look the way he looked on Sunday. I mean, it was like legitimately concerning yeah i mean well he he i think one of the things on the field the x's and o's part is that he's been horrendous in his career uh when he's not getting blitzed he's really good and we talk about this a lot with uh with what's his name in la justin herbert justin herbert yeah Uh, yeah so uh look the i think uh i think the titans blitzed him one time in 39 dropbacks in, in the game on Sunday and, and Mahomes uh, has been blitzed and, and just 10, just over 10 and a half percent of dropbacks this season. He's thrown 30 of his 33 career interceptions uh, when the defense is not blitzing and six, uh, six straight games with an interception too. So something's going on between the, uh, in the six inches between his ears. Um, and, and I don't know what it is, but uh, if, if it is what I think it is, and I mentioned this last week, is that teams are starting to catch up to, to some of the scheme. And you figure out that you, you on defense, you don't have to blitz Patrick Mahomes to be successful against him. Um, and you can just worry about covering your weapons like Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey and, and whoever else they're going to throw out you. Byron uh, uh, Sleva Pringles, uh, whatever the heck, it, uh, wide receivers they're throwing out there. Um, but if, if you can sort of figure out that and then game plan around that defensively. And then all you got to do, I mean, I mean, look on offense, the Titans didn't have a great day out of their, 
star player who's probably going to win the MVP. Uh, and he threw for a touchdown, Derrick Henry. But uh, if, if you can find a way to be successful on the defensive side of the ball, like a lot of teams have this year against, uh, against the Chiefs, then you're in business. I don't know, man. I'm still not ready to like, yes, it's troublesome where they're at, but this is also one of the best teams we've ever seen assembled. And like talent wise, like you guys have both said, I don't know what's going on with Mahomes, And quite frankly, he has earned a pass for me in terms of like, he's had a stretch of not playing well, but this is the longest stretch we've seen him not play well. So in my opinion, I think he's going to get out of it. I think we see him at the end of the season, go on a tear. I think they still make the playoffs. And I think they, they might not be, you know, they're definitely not going to, I think they'll win the division probably still. Maybe the Chargers have something to say about that. But once one of those teams, you know, establishes it, I think the other one is going to still make the playoffs. And I think both are going to be pretty formidable opponents. You got to remember a, a lot of teams, it's more recently that one seeds and two seeds have gone to the championship. There was a stretch there for a while in the late 2000s and early 2010s that like, most of there was always like a um, a wild card team or someone that played on wild card weekend in the championship. It, it was happening a lot, and I just really believe that they're the team that can put it back together offensively. I think defensively, you know, they don't have what it takes this year to make the stretch and get to the Super Bowl. I don't believe so. But no, God, I'm, they're like last I'm, in every category. <laughs> I know, but th- that I'm trying to compare though, like to what it was. Th- that's how the the Colts were with Manning. And then they got Bob Sanders back and that was different. It's not like Tyron Matthews coming back, but either way, like I'm just worried about this defense. I think offensively, I'm not as worried. I think they make the playoffs. They don't go far. It's weird to see this. It was the first year that Mahomes, like you're saying, isn't lighting it up. And it's strange to see. I, I'm not going to lie. I, th- I think there's a real chance the chiefs don't make the playoffs. I think the AFC, I think the AFC as a whole is not doesn't have the depth that the NFC does. But if the Chiefs are playing the NFC, there's no chance they make the playoffs. The, the AFC is just not as deep from top to bottom. The top tier teams, you know, you, you're going to have the Bills. You're going to maybe have Cincinnati. Vegas is up there right now. The Chargers are a really good football team. Uh, and then who the hell knows what's coming between Tennessee and Indianapolis. But, yeah, but Jeff, two uh, of their I'll, next three games are against great NFC teams and the well, Packers so, and the Cowboys. So that's why I was I was going up here. They have the, the Giants next week, next week, which should be a win on Monday Night Football. But then it's it's Packers, Raiders, Cowboys, Broncos, which on paper should be a win. But look, it's a it's a it's a rivalry game. You never know what's going to happen there. And then and then Raiders, Chargers. Steelers are playing a tough defense and you have the Bengals in week 17 and then week 18, they're going up against the Broncos again in, in Denver, Patrick Mahomes for the first time is thinking when he's dropping back. And that's not to say that like, he's not processing stuff. Cause I think that's right. the most underrated aspect of Patrick Mahomes is that he's actually really brilliant in reading defenses this year. It's almost like he has the yips. He's dropping back. He's not, he's not confident. I know you're not supposed to say that, but like every yeah. time he drops back, every time he dropped back in that game against Tennessee, he looked like he had no idea to go where to go with the football. And credit to Mike Vrabel and that staff for coming up with a good defensive plan. But we saw on Monday Night Football, Josh Allen had no problem covering up that defense. So to say that, oh, Mike Vrabel was going to put more in on a short week, 
to stop Patrick Mahomes and he was going to go against the other top quarterback in the NFL and Josh, Josh Allen. I mean, back-to-back weeks are going up against arguably number one and number two quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Maybe top three if you want to throw Tom Brady in that mix. So, I do. And they come away both of those with wins? I mean, that's impressive coaching. But also, there's just not the confidence. And I, and I don't know if it's, hey, he's throwing some interceptions. He's hesitant on some of these throws. He was pure gunslinger and making the best decisions. And I feel like this is a reset year for Kansas City. This defense, historically, is one of the three worst defenses since the year 2000. Think about how bad that is. We're talking about 21 years of football. And this is one of the three worst. 0-16 game or team thrown in there, too. Multiple 0-16. The Lions and the Browns, right? And this, this defense is worse than all of it. And now it's seeping into the offense. Because Mahomes has put so much on his shoulder. He got picked off and turned the ball over a couple times, particularly in that Ravens game when he was trying to save the ball and flip it at the last second and be the hero like Mahomes does. I think there are some serious issues here. Their two best weapons on offense, Kelsey and Hill, are both banged up and have been banged up for a couple of weeks. I mean, out of all the wide receivers last week against Washington, Tyreek Hill went on the third least amount of routes as a wide receiver because he was banged up. He still ended up having a big impact. But to, to think that you're going up against a pretty mediocre defense in t- Tennessee, who ranks in the bottom three in the NFL when it comes to pass rush, pass rush win rate. And they disrupted Patrick Mahomes time after time. And Mahomes is holding onto the ball way too long. I think there is something seriously broken on that team right now. And I might be going out on a limb. And I know, or maybe I'm feeling like I'm a shock jock right now, just first taking it and just saying, I just, the eye test, the sniff test, as we've, we've talked about in the past, this team smells like, mm. like, you know what this team smells like? It smells like when you have a gallon of milk and it's like two days past the, the, the expiration <laughs> date. And you're like, still ah, drinkable, but like, I yeah. probably can drink this, but is it going to make me throw up in an hour? That's the vibe I'm getting from Kansas City. Doesn't mean that you could drink that milk and be totally fine afterwards, but you totally could. Saying that, you know, Kansas City absolutely has the talent to be able to go, but there's so much on Mahomes right now because of how bad that defense is that I think it's compounding on top of this inconsistent play we've seen from him. I think he's got a little bit of the yips. And and that hit he took at the end of the game, that oh, I, I thought was like literally I, I can't believe his neck didn't snap. It was honestly as scary of a hit as I've seen in a while in the NFL. Um, and luckily he cleared concussion protocol and he should be fine for, for Monday night next week. But sheesh, that was that was ugly. Um, all right, those are pro- the two big storylines. We can rip through some of these other one o'clock games a little bit quicker. I, w- I just wanted to take time on those two in particular because I love those those teams, uh, all the matchups, all everything in there. And the one thing we didn't hit on there, which we should, is Tennessee has an ability to come and play up for games, and I think that's a Mike Vrabel thing. Um, Derrick Henry, that touchdown pass is the closest thing I've seen to like a Heisman moment in the NFL, where it's like, hey, he's not having his best day, but look, he still popped that. So your call for maybe being the MVP. Is, is right on, Scotty. I mean, this is a guy who's probably going to get close to, if not break 2,000 yards for the second consecutive season. No other quarterback has really stepped up to this point. Josh Allen's been really good, but are you really going to give him the MVP right now? I don't know. If the season ended tomorrow, I think Kyler Murray's probably number one. 
and two and three are probably Derrick Henry, Dak Prescott, Josh Allen in that order. I think Tom Brady's up there. Yeah, but, Tom Brady's up there too. But but I'm with you. I think that it reminded me that Heisman moment you're saying. It reminded me of the MVP moment that Ladanian Tomlinson had when he also was throwing touchdowns and he was catching them, and then he do his famous like uh, you know little flip the ball with his hand behind his head in the end zone. He yep. was electric to watch in a much different way than Derrick Henry is. But Derrick Henry, man, with like every week, he's making one of the best plays or one of the most surprising plays or one of the plays you have to watch that's always seen. And that to me with the stats makes you an MVP. And even on an off week, quote unquote, yeah. for Derrick yeah. Henry, still finishes with 29 carries for 86 yards. <laughs> like good. Yeah. Still, still over 100 yards of total offense. He had 16 through the air. Um, yeah, I'm not worried about Derrick Henry, uh, even if he had an off week, because what we saw too is the passing game got going for Tennessee. A.J. Brown, eight catches, a buck 33 and a touchdown. Um, and and Tannehill is doing a really good job of spreading the ball around. And, and one of those touchdowns, you know, he kind of took there from Tannehill, ran it in rushing, um, kind of stole that from, from Derrick Henry. But yeah, th- this team, Tennessee, like I said before, Tennessee can beat anybody. But they also remember we're two weeks removed from them losing to the New York Jets. So take that for what you will. Uh, some of the less overall intriguing games, the one really tight game we did have was Atlanta and Miami. Uh, I had a vested interest in this. I had a like a five-leg parlay that I needed the Falcons to hit. And our boy, Young Way Koo, comes up with a big hit at the end. Um, I think the Falcons, look, I think we know what the Falcons are, right? The Falcons are a team with a veteran, former MVP quarterback, who's going to make a lot of really good plays, keep you in games. They have a young – I mean, Kyle Pitts is, is the so far statistically the best rookie tight end we've, we've seen. Uh, at a position that's really difficult to do that in. And, and he's really come on the last couple games. Uh, Miami in a tough spot, didn't get the buy after going to uh, New Orleans, or sorry, going to New Orleans, going to London to play the Jaguars and losing that game against Jacksonville. Normally they give the buy, they didn't. That's why I switched my pick to the Falcons there at the end. And I'm glad that I did. The Falcons are who we thought they are, right? They are going to win some games. They're going to lose some games. They're going to probably end up with like six wins on the season. They're not a good team, uh, but they're not a bad team. They're 500 right now. They're three and three Miami on the other side. Miami is proving to be a, a, a bad football team. And I honestly, for as bad as they've been, if I'm a Miami fan with all of the Deshaun Watson trade rumors and everything that's circulating right now, Tua showed some life on Sunday, some, some yeah. life. I didn't think he had in him, and he played, pretty pretty well i'm not gonna lie four touching uh, passing touchdowns uh was an impressive day from him but the defense is bad even with two what they're supposed to have the, the best you know cornerback duo in the nfl and they're getting lit up by you know calvin ridley and and russell gage for deep balls the, the dolphins have a lot of problems and as again as an eagles fan who we get their first overall we get their first round pick next year which right now would be the number two overall pick i'm happy to see it but for a team that we had high expectations for coming into the year, Brian Flores, great coach, as we all kind of thought after the fact that they kind of scrambled and almost made the playoffs last year, it's been a disappointing season to say the least for the Dolphins. Yeah, but I, I, I'm with you. I think like not all hope is lost, right? I do believe in their coach. I, I think they have a long way to go. I don't think two is the guy still by any means, but I think when you look at this team, um, 
what you're going to see is a team, I feel like trying to get back to their form last year, especially defensively, they're not there. They're just not the same, same with offense. It's like one of those years that, you know, you're not going to have a great year, but you don't feel like your team's in shambles and needs to rebuild almost like it's somewhere in between. Yeah. And on the Falcon side, it's like, I feel like it's almost, they put so much duct tape on the sinking boat. Like uh, they, they had that flex seal guy in their boat and he helped them out and he's like painting over. He's like, here's Kyle Pitts. He's going to help you get reception. Yeah, so like, that flex Kyle seal guy is Cordero Patterson. That's who the flex seal guy yeah, yeah. is. He, uh, well, that, <laughs> that's such that's a good seal on the outside. Anyway. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but either way they're staying afloat and they're doing just enough. So I, I, I like, I just, I'm impressed with what we've seen from them, especially in the last couple of weeks. And uh, hopefully they can keep pushing the ball. It's, it's a lot more fun to watch their offense again. There was a time there for a while, even with Julio, it was like, this isn't fun. And yeah. now it's getting back to that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, it, it's, it's a tale of, of two opposite ends of the spectrum. And you, you guys both hit it, is that Atlanta is mediocre at best. Uh, they don't have all the all the weaponry. They did draft Kyle Pitts, and he's going to grow into what I think is probably a superstar. Um, and, and so they're they're acquiring the the talent necessary to rebuild. Miami, on the other hand, has all a good chunk of talent, and for whatever reason, they're not using it in the right way. Um, I don't understand what Miles Gaskin's role is. I don't understand what any of the wide receivers' role is. Because the best receiver on that team is Mike Kosicki, which I'm cool with as Ben Stater. It's fun to watch him do really well. But like most times you're not gonna be running a successful offense when you're when you're only relying on on one guy and he's a, a tight end seven well, in the league. Like the the one thing I'll I'll say there though, Scotty, is like Jalen Waddle has shown flashes, right? Like on that opening drive, they go down and score a touchdown. Jalen Waddle was awesome. But they're also the other two wide receivers, Devontae Parker, who they paid a, a big contract to, and Will Fuller, had just haven't been healthy this year. So a full complement, the fact that they put up 28 points against a, a pretty bad defense in Atlanta, um, but nonetheless, the fact that they were still able to move the ball successfully, came down, scored a touchdown late, you know, gave themselves a shot, put the defense on the field to try to go win the game, and, and the defense came up short – you know, is encouraging when you factor in that they're missing arguably their two best offensive or two of their best offensive weapons, but it is disappointing. And they changed offensive coordinators last year because there was this disconnect. And for whatever reason, it feels like there's still a disconnect here. Maybe it's just Tua hasn't had the reps because he's been injured. Maybe it's just Tua is not a great quarterback. Maybe it's health. I don't know. Like there, there are so many question marks surrounding the Dolphins that I just don't really know what the problem is. I do know that their defense has been porous, and I know when they've gone up against good defenses on offense, they haven't been able to move the football very well. I think Tua is better than what the public perception of, of him is right now, and I think Sunday was a good example of showing that. But the Dolphins are a team with a lot of different problems across the board, and in a year where you're thinking, all right, like, you know, all legal stuff aside, we could go get a guy like Deshaun Watson – Tua being a valuable trade asset for them, just strictly football, is a plus. Because I think if you have Deshaun Watson on this team, just the way – I mean, think about what he did for Houston last year. Like, he, he, he accounted for, what was it, like 86% 
of their total offense. Like if we're seeing the same thing with Jalen Hurts, like Jalen Hurts accounted for 85 has going into this week had accounted for 85% of the Eagles total yards. And that's what Deshaun Watson did. And now you're putting, you're going to have a guy who can carry that kind of a load, but is a far better passer and overall quarterback than Jalen. And you're going to put him on a team that might have three good wide receivers. I mean, I even like Preston Williams and a Mike Kosicki. And even having a guy like Miles Gaskin there, like I don't think they're that far off. But the one thing I was not anticipating with the Dolphins this year was them being bad on defense, like this bad. Like I thought like middle of the road to pretty good defense. I mean, they're a bad defensive team. And the way that they let Matt Ryan just push the ball down the field three different times, they hit Kyle Pitts at the end of the first half, uh, starting off uh, first place from scrimmage in the second half. And then again, on the two-minute drill, Kyle Pitts just breaks free and gets like a 30 yard pickup. I mean, it, it was easy because they're just, there's something not there that that should be there when you look at the guys who are on that roster. Um, but Hey, good for the Falcons, I guess. I don't, I don't really know. The, the Falcons are on that list of teams that I just, I could not care less about this season. I don't care if they're around 500. I don't like watching them play. I like Matt Ryan and I, I it's interesting to watch Kyle Pitts, but they are just as meh. They're, they're oatmeal, you know, they're, they're oatmeal. On a, on a Sunday morning when you're seeing Instagram and Snapchats of other people going to brunch and getting mimosas and you're like, well, I got this oatmeal. guess that's okay. Um, so that's, I think that's enough talk for the, that. It was a good game though, at least. It was the only like close nail biter we had all, all, uh, all day. Um, Green Bay and the Washington football team. Um, another team like Tyler, Taylor Hineke, definitive, not the dude, but every single week, I just I get more and more vindicated about my Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is the next coming of Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Hennigan. He's going to leave Washington wherever he goes next. He's going to play on like four different teams, five different teams. He's going to be back up in the league for a long time because when he comes in, especially in a backup role, he's going to win you a game or two, especially if it's like a mid-game injury kind of thing. And you're sending this dude out there. He is just reckless. Um, the big – Story here, I guess, if we can say one. I mean, the Packers are good. We know the Packers are good. The defense is good. We know they're good. Um, or at least they looked better this week. But I'll, I'll say this. The rule that I think I hate the most in the NFL is that quarterback giving himself up around the goal line rule. Yeah. And the fact that that touchdown got taken off the board and has nothing to do with the fact that I took the over in this game um, is, <laughs> is absolute dog shit. Like, seriously, like, I it frustrates me to no end that a quarterback who clearly scores like the, the other guy wasn't pushing back, like nothing else. Like, can we are, haven't we advanced far enough here where if and look, Taylor Henneke should have extended the ball out. He didn't. But we're going to mark him down short of the goal line on that. Like, really? Like, I, I feel like we can use our better judgment here on it. And it's one of the rules in the NFL that pisses me off as much as any, because like, like, what are we doing? You know, like this game could have been far more competitive if the refs don't decide and the NFL doesn't decide to make this dog shit rule that just frankly doesn't make any sense. I hate it, man. It's it, it's so stupid, especially when you're considering like diving forward as giving yourself up. Like, yeah, it, like if you're sliding feet first and you want to make that rule, I'm OK with that rule. But it's right. the like he went head first. We kind of gave himself up. Like, how? What are we talking about? Like, yeah, he, he went head first. Yes, he was going on an angle, so it wasn't 100 percent 90 degrees perpendicular to the goal line. 
Does that mean, okay, that means he's giving himself up now? Like, are we bringing out a protractor to measure the angle in which he's diving? Like, how can that be the difference between an NFL player who clearly scored a touchdown and not scoring a touchdown in the name of protecting the quarterback? And I get there might be certain circumstances where a quarterback gets lit up on, on a third and short or whatever, the same thing happens and it's not a touchdown. But if you're going head first and it's not feet first, which again, opposite ends of your body, it's pretty easy to tell which way or the other it is. Like, come on. Like, we're, like that rule needs to be amended immediately because it's one of the worst rules in football. I agree. And ha- speaking of third down, how's it going to go that later this year when someone dives forward from a quarterback perspective to go through the line and they're like, well, technically he started diving behind his own line of scrimmage. Is that giving himself up? Like this yeah. is fucking stupid. I, I hate this rule. It's dumb. If you go feet first, you should be given up. If you go head first that you're playing goddamn football and I'm sorry, but you're a runner. And the way these quarterbacks are running, you can't pull punches. You can't say they're giving themselves up. And then all of a sudden, what Lamar can't dive in the end zone if he's getting close. Like there's so many things here that just don't make sense to me. This is a rule that was in probably good spirit, but it's fucking stupid and needs to change. Anything to add to that, Scotty? Oh, no. I mean, you know, I just like watching it in real time. I didn't understand why they were calling it back. It was, it was one of those like, really? We're really. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, it, it doesn't make sense to me either. And you're absolutely right, Vito. And it's going to come down to a big situation, if not any playoff game, where a guy like Aaron Rodgers or Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, if they get there, is going to make the same play and we're going to call it in their favor because uh, it's one of those three guys or we're going to be consistent with the stupid rule and, and not give them the points. So I don't know. I, I hate to see it come down to that. Um, I I just think playoffs, like but. you get a fourth and one, right? You're expecting the QB sneak instead of the QB, instead of the quarterback going right behind the center, he takes a step to the side and follows his tackle or follows a fullback or somebody there. Well, he's coming on a side angle. Is that giving himself up? You, you know, like, it, and again, I'm not saying that Hineke shouldn't have reached the ball towards the, you know, towards the goal line. He, he should have like, that's the rules. That's what we're playing under. He should have known better than, to, than to do that. But the gray area between, like since when is in any situation giving yourself up going head first? Like if your head is in front of your body, you are going head first and therefore you should not be considered giving yourself up. Unless you're Daniel Jones and you trip, but yes. But even still, like, (laughs) is that considered giving himself up? If Daniel Jones had gotten up in time to be able to run for a touchdown where they had called that, you know, like that's the gray area of this word to me, it's giving yourself up is sliding feet first. It's very simple. We see it get called every single week in the NFL quarterbacks who give themselves up, but still take a late hit and they call the flags. Cause it's very clear and obvious that the quarterback is giving himself up. But the, like you said, Vito, this is football. And if you're going to lower your head and dive forward for something that absolutely ab- it's you literally, there's a distinction in Madden. like Madden yes. has just has made that distinction between sliding and when you click X or whatever it is, I haven't played Madden forever, but when you click the dive button, you're still a live runner. Quarterback or not quarterback. There is right. no you like double oh. tap to slide. Yeah. And that's when you go down. So to me, like the fact that this is even a conversation is just the NFL. And every year we get these things in the NFL and rules. And I know this rule got changed a couple of years ago, but like we, we just, we have to be better about it. We have to be, because th- at this point, 
not to say that Washington was going to win that game by any means, but Washington scores that touchdown. It's still a, it's a tie game. Like this game is still neck and neck. And instead they call that back. Green Bay makes a big stop on fourth down. And, and you know, the rest of the game felt kind of out of hand at that point. And I just, I can't stand that. Um, the last two one o'clock games we had, uh, we'll go with the giants and the Panthers first. Um, Panthers and Broncos, both teams off the three and records and have dropped four straight. Uh, I can't say I remember too many times in, in years past that we've talked about, you know, teams that come off of this hot start and we think, Oh man, they look really good. And then drop four in a row to go three and O to three and four is drastic. The Panthers should have been in, in and definitely should have won the game against the Eagles. Uh, arguably could have beaten the, the Vikings last week in that crazy game that goes into overtime. I, I don't really know what to make of Carolina at this point. I mean, the giants I think are just like, I think Joe judge showed some impressive coaching skills and that he got the team to kind of buy in for that. Another team that's been depleted with injuries. This is the classic, Hey, Daniel Jones, is he kind of like, what do you do with the Daniel Jones contract? That's going to be due up here within the next year or two. I don't know. I still feel very firm that like, if you like him, you want him to stay around, you offer him like three years for like $50 million. And then you can cut him afterwards. You know, after one year, you guys doesn't work cut bait, you know, one of those deals, you definitely don't give him a hundred million dollar contract. And this is the game that gets people to kind of dive in. But even still, I wouldn't call this an overwhelmingly great performance from Daniel Jones. I mean, 23 of 33, 200 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, that's not great. It's an okay day. You know what I mean? Like it, it like Case Keenum came out and did the exact same thing for, for the Browns against the Broncos on Thursday night football. So like, are you going to get behind Case Keenum and pay him a ton of money? Like, no, the athletics, the, the athletic side of Daniel Jones is enticing because we've seen him, you know, that catch was awesome and we've seen him do some stuff and I will give them credit that right now they're working with only one starting wide receiver, but even with, uh, Kadarius Tony and Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton all healthy. Does that really move the needle with this team? Maybe throw in a healthy Saquon too. Is all of us are all of a sudden the Giants with you know Daniel Jones supposed to look like Baker with the Browns? Like no, like if you're gonna ask me, would you rather have Baker or Daniel Jones? I'm gonna take Baker ten times out of ten. I'm not gonna think twice about it. I don't know who would you guys rather have right now. I'd rather have Baker. Yeah, like Baker, easy. This isn't like I don't know. It's, I, it's not even close. I think that's and kind I, of the, the realm that Giants fans are even hoping that Daniel Jones is in. You know, they're hoping he can be in that Baker Mayfield zone. I just don't right. think he is. I don't either. No, and no then, I agree. And go ahead, Sky. On the on the other side of the ball is where they've they've had even more problems. But this week the the Giants did a great job getting after the quarterback. They had 18 pressures in the 45 dropbacks that the Carolina quarterbacks had. I say that plural because they did take out uh, Sam Donald in, in a in a benching and and put in PJ Walker. So, um, but the 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 pressure that that the Giants bring on defense has not been there. It's been completely absent all year, um, and and for as as long as I can remember, going back the last couple of years, at least since they've they've let go of uh, Odell and had Saquon and all this. So. It's good that that they're starting to do that. If they can get a little more consistent on that side, that would be that would be a big boost. But still, I don't think that that the the wide receiver combo, uh, that stack with with Galladay and and uh, Darius Slayton and, and Sterling Shepard and uh, 
I forgot about uh, Gallup. Darius Tony. Yeah, and uh, and and a healthy Saquon moves the needle when you have Daniel Jones back there. No, and and Daniel Jones will win you probably six to seven games a year as a starting quarterback. You know, if if everything is perfect around him, you know, Nick Foles in Philly kind of deal. I don't believe in Daniel Jones. I mean, like I wouldn't. I'd be shocked, but like I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's impossible for Daniel Jones to be that kind of a guy. I just. Even with everything there, I just – I don't see it with them. And then for the Panthers, I mean, benching Sam Darnold is, was, was an interesting move. I, I didn't think Sam Darnold was great in this game. He really struggled in the second half. Um, but I think this goes to show the value of, you know, Christian McCaffrey, you know. And, and on the same side, too, you know, we look at the Wonderkin and, and Joe Brady and how amazing was LSU. And then even last year, some of the stuff we did with Teddy and then – you know, oh, well, Sam Darnold's here and we can see how good he is. I, I just think you take out a one, one weapon who, granted, again, that weapon might be the best offensive non-quarterback in all of football in Christian McCaffrey, but you take that guy out and all of a sudden, like, man, this team is, is struggling to move the ball. And, and the Giants end up with six sacks and did a good job getting pressure. I think that offensive line is a huge problem, which, weirdly enough, I actually think – the Jets offensive line is actually a better starting unit than the Panthers, which is also kind of setting Sam, Dar- Sam Darnold up to fail. So maybe they can invest some, some stuff there. I'm not ready to quit on Sam Darnold yet because I still see flashes of him where I'm like, I, I, I would rather bet on Sam Darnold moving forward than Daniel Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. And that might be unpopular and maybe other people think I'm crazy or whatever, but I would, ra- I would rather bet on Sam Darnold than Daniel Jones. And I just think there's more talent there. I, you just have to get the pieces around. Um, speaking of the Jets, holy shit. The Jets. Oh, the Jets just yeah, got not their, great. They got their freaking lunch served to them. Holy crap, dude. Like the Patriots and Scotty, you're not alone. I know you took the Jets last week and I, stupid. I, <laughs> I was really close to pulling the trigger too, but I said, no, I said, no, I just, I don't, th- I don't think it happens again. I don't think the Texans repeat itself. And after having already seen Zach Wilson, I think they knew exactly how to get after Sam Wilson, Sam Wilson, Zach Wilson. And they did, they found a way to get after Zach Wilson. They found a way to really, really make him uncomfortable. He leaves the game with a knee injury, uh, un- unfortunate for the young rook. Um, this was just a all, top to bottom shellacking by the Pats. And, uh, and on top of that too, Mac Jones looked really good. Mac Jones looked really good in this game. And I think yeah. now that Mac Jones has had some tests that we're really starting to see like, all right, he sees a difference between playing Tampa Bay and playing the Jets. And I think that distinction alone and the confidence, I mean, he finishes with 20, 24 or 36 for 300 yards and two touchdowns. That's, that's an impressive day from a rookie quarterback. He's starting to put those stat lines out pretty consistently. Uh, and then obviously the running attack, uh, Damian Harris, monster. Uh, J.J. Taylor comes in there as, as the next guy in line, does really well. And, um, yeah, I mean, honestly. Brandon Bolden, I, too. Yeah. They, they, and Brandon Bolden in the receiving game, six catches for 79 yards. And uh, included that touchdown. Aguilar had a touchdown on the little trick play, and then Hunter Henry pulls another one in. Hunter Henry and Mac Jones got some stuff going on. Um, the Pats are just going to be one of those teams, and it's cliche to say, but like end of the end of the season, 
fighting for a playoff spot, you don't want to play New England. No, you don't. Uh, just because, I mean, you kind of see what's building, and it's the reason that they took Mac Jones uh, was because because of that the nature of that relationship. They think that they Belichick could have with him, um, and and really, it's starting to to come to fruition a little bit in uh, over the last even four weeks. I'd say. I mean, the thing with Hunter Henry, Hunter Henry has a touchdown in four straight games. Uh, Mac Jones relying on him, but he's starting to spread the ball around a little more. He's over the last four games, 73.2 completion percentage. He's over a thousand yards. He's got seven touchdowns, uh, 105 QBR. I, it's just, I, that's like insane numbers for a rookie. Uh, and it's insane numbers for any quarterback over a four game stretch. So uh, credit where credit is due. I mean, they found their guy and, uh, and now all of a sudden they're, they're using what they've got. They've, they've, Final for the, one of the first times in forever, I feel like they have a really uh, good grasp on the depth of that running back room, um, and and they're using it uh, to help not only be successful on offense, but to help kind of open stuff up for Mac Jones as well. Anything to add on top of that, Vito? Yeah, you know something that I was just looking at, which which surprised me actually, is even in this game where they were very very successful there wasn't a ton of volume to the tight ends. And I just like was thinking at this whole off season, as we talked about it from, from the Patriots, you know, Johnny Smith had had a couple of catches, but I, I'm just like Hunter Henry only had two catches for 23 yards. One was a touchdown, which is great. But I was just, as I'm thinking through this and saw the score, it was like, you know, it was in that early window. And it's kind of that question of like, Oh, did, did there was a lot of like targets to them? Cause after you see a score like that, you assume everyone got, you know, what they deserve, but um I'm still waiting, I guess, for a couple of big breakout games from from like Hunter Henry specifically um, in terms of the volume. But, hey, this is the Patriot way, right? You, you bring in yeah. whoever and, and they end up doing their part. And clearly it's just funny. I feel like they're the only team like Bill Belichick is the only guy that would win a game, you know, 50 with 54 points on offense. And like I'm I'm surprised at how little like. I don't know the quarter. Like I'm just surprised at the stats. I think even because yeah. when you see the Patriots, you see that score, you're thinking Brady's slinging it. It just it's something doesn't add up in my brain right now when I'm looking yeah. at the stats from this. Game. I mean, even like the time of but, possession was pretty even. Like the total yardage like wasn't that crazy of a difference. Like I, I just it was one of those classic like Belichick. And the thing was too was just that every time the Pats got the ball, it was just methodical. It was easy. They made it got a ton of turnovers, which helps too just in terms of field position. Um, yeah, it was, it's a weird, like, it's funny. You said like the final score isn't necessarily indicative of, of what the box score, what the team stats kind of end up looking like. Um, all right, let's move on to the, the four o'clock games here. We had four of them. Um, we'll just get it out of the way. The Eagles stink. Um, Nick Sirianni's Not great, Bob. stinks. Jalen Hurts stinks. The defense stinks. Uh, I saw 60, 65 offensive plays that the Raiders have and the Eagles played man-to-man on five of them. Um, when you have one of the best man-to-man quarterbacks in football, they just played soft zone. Derek Carr made them their bitch. Uh, this Austin game road in too. <laughs> yeah. This game was just bad, man. I mean, it makes you think too, like if Darren Waller was healthy and played in this game, how, how ugly could it have been? Um, Jalen hurts still afraid to step up in the pocket. He's still drifting. You know, he does it like 50% of the time there's a pocket. Jalen Hurts sticks in it and isn't afraid to stay in the pocket and throws a great throw. 
And then the other 50% of the time, he just runs away. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people be like, well, look at all these raw numbers, Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson and Jalen's right up there. I'm like, those guys run as the fifth option on a play. Jalen Hurts runs as the second option on a play. Yeah. And it's almost like in in Madden when you know you have a mobile quarterback and you're like, "Eh, screw it. One of these games, I'm just going to like run every play and be like, oh, drop back and nobody's open really. So run. I'm running. I'm running four verts here. If there's nothing's there, I know if if the one receiver I want to throw to is not there, I'm just going to run and take it myself. A hundred percent, Scotty. It's a great call. Um, I think the play calling is still not great, even though I think it's better than maybe has been advertised. I just, I watched the team that just looks disinterested. And and the the hardest part about playing in Philly uh, as a fan or as a player is, is you have to care. You have to care. And I know it's a paycheck. I know it's not the same as in college where guys are playing for the love of the game and all that shit that actually I do believe is real. You have to care. It's why people are going after Ben Simmons like he's, you know, the freaking plague. I, I just don't – I see an apathetic team. And in result, I'm starting to see an apathetic fan base. And when the Eagles fans start to turn apathetic, that is the worst thing that can happen to Philly sports fans is, be, is being apathetic because it means that the team is so bad, the, the management, everything is so bad that they just don't care. And to get that fan base to not care is is saying a lot about where you are right now as an organization. And I love Jalen Hurts, the person. I've said that a million times on this pod. Yeah. I just I Vito, I don't know how long I can keep doing this, man. Like I just I go into this game, I'm like, Darren Waller's not gonna play. They come down the opening touchdown. And then just like that, the defense, everything else just looks terrible. I just I don't I can't care about this team right now. I want to. I'm like forcing myself to care about them. And that's not good. No, no, it's not. Um, but like, yes, it's not going great. Yeah, he's your leading rusher, he's your leading passer. The care, the volume that he's carrying it, it's a lot like Tebow. Now he throws the ball better than Tebow, which is wow. the good news. <laughs> yeah, but, but you're not that far. You're it's actually it's a very spot on comparison. Right. The way they're using him, how much he's running on purpose, how like it's it's just so much Tebow, and I watched him. And it's for, the you know, guy too. It's like he's such a good leader. He's such a yeah. He can yeah, will he's a game. Wins. He's gonna figure it out at the end. Yeah. God, I can't believe you said that. Now I'm never gonna be able to unsee that. <laughs> and it's wild that they still only get Miles Sanders like six carries or whatever. Well, they get. So like it's just he got he got hurt. I mean, to be fair, they, okay, they, I didn't see the whole end. Okay, yeah, but so still that. But the storyline even before the, this game, yeah, which and. and to their credit, they came out in the opening series and Jalen Hurts was under center, which he's barely been under center all year. Mm-hmm. And he's under center. He's taking snaps. It's direct handoffs. And all of a sudden they're moving the ball. They go down like clockwork, score the touchdown, second possession on like the second play, third play. Uh, Miles Sanders rolls his ankle. It's not broken, but it's sprained and he's going to be out for two weeks, two to three weeks. So it's like they finally did what everyone's been praying and asking and begging them to do. And it worked. But then the bigger disconcernment of the thing that just is disconcerting to me on the opposite side of the ball is the defense just letting like Las Vegas was 31st in the NFL in rushing going into this game, second to last. And they ran at will against the Eagles. And this defensive coordinator, this arrogant prick who I'm so over, Jonathan Gannon, who's been so convinced that him playing uh, 
Fletcher Cox out of position is actually better for the Eagles than it actually is. He's a Chip Kelly guy where it's like the scheme is better than the players. And no, it's just not. Never in football, ever, ever in a million years has it ever been proven that a coach, some egomaniac that thinks his scheme is better than putting your players in the best position to play is the right way to go. And Jonathan Gannon is a freaking clown. I don't care if they've had good performance against some teams. Those were the players making those plays. That was Darius Slay having two interceptions and Steve Nelson having to pick to close the game. That wasn't his freaking scheme. Those were the Jimmys and the Joes, not the X's and the O's. One of those things that's been talked to death in football circles, but Jonathan Gannon is a straight-up clown. And I'm, I'm so, so over this dude because he's, he, it's my scheme's going to work. Even though you have a borderline Hall of Fame defensive tackle in Fletcher Cox, who can still play at an elite level. And you're saying, no, we're actually going to ask you to start playing basically a four technique and or a head-to-head DN lined up against a tackle because it's going to free up stuff for other guys to make plays, even though we have the worst linebackers in the NFL. And you're also not putting your prime premier safeties in a, or, or cornerbacks in a position to be successful, where Darius Slay has to play seven yards off of the ball on every single time because all they run is a soft zone, and they blitz in the bottom three in the NFL when it comes to blitzing. So, fuck Jonathan Gannon. Fuck the Eagles. <laughs> I just – I can't with this team. And right now, I'm praying – like, watching Carson Wentz win last night sucked, but it also was like, all right, well, if he keeps playing and stays healthy, then we get their first-round draft pick. And, and the Colts are probably, if they make the playoffs, will be a fringe playoff team. So they're a fringe playoff team. We get the 20th pick. We hopefully get, like, a top three pick from the Dolphins. And then for us, we'll probably end up with, like, a top 10, top eight pick anyway. So it just sucks that we're seven weeks into the season after seeing some flashes of, like, of fight in this team. And Sirianni just looks way in over his head. And this all goes back up to Howie Roseman at the top. Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie wanted a coach that they could push around because Doug Peterson wasn't taking it. Doug Peterson said, I won you a fucking Super Bowl. I get some say in what we do in the draft. And Harry Roseman, who again is an egomaniac, is saying, nope, sorry. And they fired him. And I was okay with Doug getting fired. I'm not saying I want him back necessarily because I don't think he was a great overall. I don't think he was an elite coach. I think they did catch some lightning in a bottle that year in 2017. But the front office has to change and Howie Roseman is going to get entrusted with three first round draft picks. And I don't trust him to make the right decision with them anyway. No. And I just think that like, you know, you're in a tough spot. I'm feeling the same way a little bit, but like when you're already looking at the draft and what's going to come up, like, yeah, man, it's, it's tough. It's tough in the situation this early already having to look forward and, We'll see, man. I, I do think there are like weapons, but you, you just got to wait and see. And, and nothing's going to happen overnight, like you know, and especially when you're talking front office and everything. That's tough. Yeah. Well, I, w- I liked, uh, and I think the Eagles should be and probably will be sellers at the deadline. And the deadline's coming up, I believe, at the end of this week. I think November 1st is, is the deadline. Um, or at least it's the first week in November. So I think, um, I think we will probably see that from, from the Eagles. And we saw already the impact that Eagles, who do have talent, uh, how that's happened, how that's turned out in other places. And that's kind of where we'll go with our next game. So whether it's Jason Kelsey or, or one of these other guys who might get traded, I hope they do. Because I, I want for those guys to get what Zach Ertz did, which is go to a 7-0 and team 
and be the last missing piece to a really, really good football team who might mess around and end up with the number one seed in the best conference in football. Um, but I think might actually end up as long as Kyler stays healthy as a Super Bowl, you know, contender in the Arizona Cardinals. Dude. I mean, this team, this team has it all. Like, I don't know where you look, where you're finding their weaknesses. Uh, you know, I guess if Kyler has an off game and, and gets, you know, run down towards like the stretch, um, that's the only thing that I think is going to hold this team back. I, I really actually do like what they're getting out of Chase Edmonds and James Conner too. Love it. I love it's, that backfield. Oh man. With like, it's just incredible when you look at it, like how much production they're getting. And you've said this before too. It's like, man, you, you really starting to realize how much linebackers respect Kyler Murray's ability to throw and scramble. Mm-hmm. Like they're not committing to run straight forward towards the line until they absolutely have to almost. It's kind of wild to see. Yeah. And, and like his impact on the overall team, their defense is just so much improved from last year. Yes. This, you know, they're playing, listen, they're playing Davis mills, but still uh, you know, it was pretty impressive to see what they did there. They really limited the amount of touches that the Texans even had. Right. Yeah. Like when you look at the, the Texas threw the ball 32 times, they ran the ball another 15 like that. That's crazy to think about. That's how much like they really had the ball. Um, so I don't know. I just think it's an overall really good team win again for the Cardinals. And that's the thing is a lot of these are team wins. hundred uh, percent. The Cardinals dominated time of possession in this game, uh, which again, for the team that typically dominates, like, and unless you're talking about just the fourth quarter, like it's usually like not quite a split. Cause you got another team kind of coming down. Like I, I just, the Cardinals are impressive on every level. They, they did. They played this game without Chandler Jones, who was all out for uh, COVID. Who's a COVID guy this week. Um, and, and I'll say this too. You know, you talked about linebackers there, right? You have all these weapons in their passing game. Chase Edmonds out of the backfield, James Conner out of the backfield, D hop, AJ green, who made, made another huge catch. Christian Kirk, who had a nice game, Rondale Moore, they got all these weapons. And now you also throw in the Ron, uh, uh, Kyler Murray kind of, screwing up the way that linebackers try to play him, right? Because you have to kind of spy this guy, but he's also so tough to catch up to, so tough to bring down. Then who's covering the tight end, which has been the – I mean, Dan Arnold got a nice contract this offseason. Max Williams, who's like basically like a blocking tight end, had multiple touchdown catches before he got hurt this year. And now you're putting in an absolute perfect fit in Zach Ertz because they're not going to ask Zach Ertz to block. They're All they're asking for Zach Ertz is – find the soft spot in zones, be a cerebral smart football player and get open when you can get open. And in his first game, he breaks off a 40, what, 42 yard touchdown catch and run, which was an awesome play. And he adds that, that middle part of the field where you can still send Rondell more deep. You can still send Christian Kirk deep and you don't have to rely on Deandre Hopkins being your only middle of the field target and now you're going to have this whole other weapon to use who you only have to throw to five or six times a game, but will completely change the way that defenses try to defend you. And so the impact that Zach Ertz is going to have on this offense is scary. The offensive line has played really, really well, which I think was probably the biggest concern of theirs coming into the season. And then defensively, they've been awesome. They've, they've been great in, in every single game. And I knew the D-line would be good. I knew Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons would be good in that linebacking core, especially because they're just freak athletes. And I, and I even said that. I thought Zayvon Collins going there was one of my favorite draft picks 
uh, in the first round last year, and he's proven to be awesome so far. And Isaiah Simmons taking that second-year jump, who was my favorite player in the draft a year before. Arizona's got a complete team. And Cliff Kingsbury comes back after missing a week. I mean, think about that, too. They beat the Cleveland Browns. With a with their with two guys who had never called plays and Vance Joseph being a former head coach is the defensive coordinator and he's scheming up and they, they had two guys being the head coach in a game against a good Cleveland Browns team and they mopped the floor with the Browns and then Cliff Kingsbury comes back this week n- didn't skip a beat so yeah the, the Cardinals are good uh, last we got three games left here from Sunday um, Lions Rams the revenge game for both quarterbacks. This game ended up being actually pretty interesting. And shout out to the Lions for just giving it everything they had, right? Score the opening touchdown on that great screen pass. Go for the onside kick. Get the onside kick. Then they come down, they get stopped. Then they run a fake punt on the same series. And they go down, they kick the field goal. Then they do another fake punt later in the game. I mean, they threw everything they had at them. I I love Dan Campbell. I love the way this team fights. I, I will forever be rude. I, I said this before. I'm rooting for the Cardinals because of Zach Ertz. I'm rooting for the Chargers because they're my side team, and I'm rooting for the Lions to get a win. That's my rooting interest right now because I can't root for the fucking Eagles. And uh, <laughs> the Rams on the other side, not every game is going to be pretty, and obviously the Lions are playing for something a little bit more than just the win. There are some other things there. I think they were trying to help out their, their quarterback who, you know, if Jared Goff had gone out and win this game, like what a great story that would have been. You know, for the guy who basically just became a castaway, who had taken them to a Super Bowl just two years ago and to now kind of be like or three years ago, I guess. uh, And to now be like, oh, you know, Jared Goff, we'll we'll send him to Siberia. The NFL's equivalent of Siberia is the Detroit Lions. Um, So credit to the Lions for fighting. But I think this game comes down to no matter how much heart and effort and scheme and trickery that the Lions could put out, there is no substitute for talent. No. And I also, there, there isn't, but at the same time, I do think like, I do believe in the aspect of a team. I just don't think the lions, you can't form a team this quickly. Like this is going to take time. It's a lot of new pieces, a lot of new people just, you know, this is, this is what I expected to be happening. Like you said, it's just not much about this game. Like it was a little closer than I think people thought. Right. But it's also not like this wasn't a, a giant surprise. But the 15 and a half point spread going into it, you know, credit to the Lions for covering. Yeah. Um, the last two games we have here, um, the Bears and the Bucks. Uh, I'll, I'll say this obviously, Tampa Bay just absolutely, you know, beating the doors yes. off of um, off of the Bears wasn't even remotely close. But Tampa Bay, by the way, if people were wondering, like, hey, why didn't you go to Scott there? Scott had some internet issues. Uh, or, you know, some flu issues, but, you know, we know he's battling right now. So we're hoping we're efforting to get Scotty back here. Uh, but if he ends up not coming back, that's why we are dealing with, with a, a thunderstorm right now here in uh, Northern Virginia. So hopefully we get Scott back. Um, the one thing I did want to bring up here in this game, I mean, Justin Fields looked bad. He looked really bad. This was the holding on to the ball too long, you know, some of the stuff we saw, but at the same time, I'm not putting those turnovers. I think one – Dan Orlovsky did a good breakdown. I think one out of the four of those turnovers – or one of the five turnovers he had uh, was his fault. The other four were not his fault. But still, five turnovers from your quarterback, it's tough to see. Um, Tom Brady threw his 600th career touchdown pass. First quarterback to ever hit 600 touchdown passes in NFL history. 
Wow. I'm sure, I'm sure you saw this story, uh, Vito, but if not, I'll, I'll explain. And for our listeners, I'll explain as well. Mike Evans catches the 600th touchdown pass. Doesn't realize it's the 600th touchdown pass. So right. he, ru- he runs up and gives the ball to a random fan in the front row next to the field. So the cameras catch him realizing what he did. And within 10 minutes or so, a ball boy for the Bucks went down and found the guy who he gave the ball to and basically was like negotiating like, Hey man, like the, like this is a really significant ball. We need it. Like we'll hook you up. Like I promise like we'll, we'll, we'll get you something or whatever. So the guy kind shout out to this guy, because I think I would have been like, um, no, uh, this is mine. You can give me a hundred thousand dollars. How much? Cause right now they value, they evaluated that that ball is worth $500,000. on an open market right now. That ball's worth. The guy gave the ball back credit to him. The bucks gave him a thousand dollars worth of credit to the, to the buck store, not even cash. Right. That's bullshit. But the guy said, and uh, I forget who it was. was, I think it was Pellerini or I forget the NFL network reporter. Um, But the guy who, who found the, the guy who got the ball and everything, the reporter who found the guy, he's talking to him. And he said, he's like, look, like, I know there's some money I could have gotten or whatever. He's like, I'll get some cool gear. He's like, the one thing I ask is if Tom Brady could come play around a golf with me, that would be awesome. And I think Tom Brady should 1000% go play freaking golf with this dude. Go spend a nice little Saturday afternoon. Take this guy out to a nice country club. Go play 18. You can bring your buddies, whoever you normally play golf with. Let him be the fourth or whatever. Treat this guy to a cool experience. He, we know Tom Brady's going to go be playing golf in the offseason at some point. Anyway, let the guy tag along as the fourth. We've all played with the rando. This dude could have been a dick about it, and he wasn't. Treat this guy to a nice round of golf. I agree. I think, and I think the NFL should do something for him because that's a significant, like, you know, really historical object. And I'm huge on this. I think the Hall of Fame, I think the world of Hall of Fame, I think the world of NFL films. I think I actually hold the NFL in pretty high regard, probably higher than most. They have enough fucking money. Take care Mm -hmm. of this dude. He deserves it. You don't see also like taking care of this guy would encourage a lot of other people to be this way. And I think that's what, as the NFL and the family oriented message you're trying to send, just take care of this guy. Tom Brady have Roger Goodell give him a call. It's significant enough. Give him some Super Bowl tickets, you know, again, like, because I think when Derek Jeter hit his last home run or whatever it was, there was a whole like, or no, it was, I think Derek Jeter's 3000th hit was a home run. And the guy who had the ball got into like a, like almost like a bidding war over it. And eventually the guy like caved and he got some sort of takeaway from it, but like 600 passes first quarterback to do it. That ball should probably be in, in, uh, in Canton. If not, it's going to be in uh, above, you know, Tom Brady's fireplace, but at, at the very least treat the guy to a round of golf. Scotty's back. Uh, we had some internet issues with Scotty, but he's back. We we're just saying here, the guy who got this the the touchdown pass uh, or the the ball from Tom Brady's 600 touchdown pass, um, he was he was talking to a, an NFL Network reporter afterwards, and he said he was like, I, I don't care about the money or anything, even though the ball is worth roughly five hundred thousand dollars estimated. Um, he said all he wanted was to just go get a round of golf with Tom Brady. And I said, I think absolutely no doubt Tom Brady should take this guy, take him to the nicest country club he's got, let him be the fourth, 
bring out a couple of your other business guys, whoever you normally play golf with Tom Brady and let this guy tag along as the fourth. What do you say, Scott? Yeah, I think that's a very reasonable request. Uh, the fact that, that he's not out there, you know, trying to poach. No, you probably you guys probably just talked about this because I heard some of the Derek Jeter stuff as I was coming back. Um, but yeah, the fact that he's not trying to poach every last penny or some ridiculous request from the Bucks organization or Tom Brady himself is, uh, is uh, frankly mind-boggling because the list is a short list of people who have accomplished that feat, and it's Tom Brady. Yeah, it's one guy. It's one guy, and he could have the dude could have been a dick about it, but he didn't. He was he was a good man. He stuck by his guns, and uh, and he did right by uh, by by Captain Brady there. And I think if nothing else, I think TV should. I mean, what's the harm, right? Like guys like that go play golf with so many random business tycoons and people like this dude would appreciate playing golf with you more than any millionaire jackass CEO that he normally would play with on a regular basis. Yeah. And if Tom does go play with Gronk or Leonard Fournette or whoever, I don't know who you know he plays golf with, probably Julian Edelman, let this dude tag along because you know it's going to mean 10 times more to that guy. And for Brady, who's completely changed his image publicly since moving to Tampa Bay as the – you know, the asshole, like people didn't like Tom Brady to now he's like almost like Peyton Manning. Like we see him in commercials. He's funny. He's actually going to be on Monday night football tonight with Peyton and Eli. We have the return of the Peyton and Eli broadcast. Thank Tom, yeah. Tom. So the guest list is Marshawn Lynch, Tom Brady, Sue Bird, and a fourth one who I'm forgetting. Drew Brees. Drew, Drew Brees. Brees. Drew Brees. Thank you. Um, so like Tom Brady has completely changed his image. This would be a great way to keep on uh, developing it. Um, Scotty, you came back just in time to talk about your Niners. Um, Ugh, I'm leaving again. <laughs> I'll say this. I don't think this game – I can't put any weight in this game one way or the other because of the weather. And no, I, I, the guy, the producer from part of my take, Hank, is just an idiot. He thinks that weather has no impact and whether an over and under is going to hit and that weather is not really a factor when it comes to gambling, which is just stupid. I mean, yes, you have anomalies like this or like when the Eagles beat the Lions a couple of years ago in a foot of you know snow in a blizzard game and LaShawn McCoy ran for three touchdowns. You get anomalies, but primarily across the board, the numbers tell you in a monsoon and an atmospheric river, as they were calling this, uh, yeah, it makes a difference. The Niners, Colts, both teams are dropping easy passes, fumbling balls they wouldn't have normally fumbled. I have a hard time buying into this as like, oh, man, the Colts, two big wins in a row. They're really good. I don't buy that yet. And I also don't buy that the Niners are a worse team after seeing a game like this in that time. I mean, it downpoured rain for four straight hours. That that was as rough weather conditions as we've seen for a long time. Uh, I, that's just my take on it. Scotty, I'll give you the floor, obviously, as our, as our resident Niners fan here. Um, it sucks to lose that game, but I, I think all things considered, Eli Mitchell looked good. Jimmy G had some good moments as well. It's hard to put too much on this game, but that's just me. How do you feel? Yeah, I know. I, I think the weather is a huge factor because one of the things that I thought about first was um, the way the field was. And granted, they did a really good job of keeping the field as dry as possible. But, I mean, it, it just did. did not stop raining that entire game. Um, so, uh, to me that immediately what you think of is, all right, who's got the better running back room and advantage Indianapolis, uh, 
not to take anything away from Elijah Mitchell, uh, but Jonathan Taylor is on one. Uh, and, and so uh, immediate advantage there. Then you talk about our secondaries beat up. Well, yeah, I mean, Carson Wentz threw the ball deep. He had 97 yards and and three pass interference drawn on, on deep balls that he threw. Um, so and that was their offense. Their offense was, hey, Carson, throw it up and underthrow it two out of the three times, and then the wide receiver is yeah. going to come back to the ball. Yeah, all this yep. Carson love, all, all this Carson Wentz love right now is pissing me off because he's looked better than he did in Philly, no question. But to take anything of that last night in that weather, wearing the glove, doing all that stuff, and think, oh, yeah, Carson Wentz, he's, he's back. Like, I was working with Brock Heward today, and Brock was telling me on air, he was like, Gimp, man, he's like, you must be uh, you must be having a rough day today. Your Eagles lose and Carson Wentz looked that good. And uh, and I, I kept it PG for the radio, obviously. But in the break, I said, I said, Brock, you're an idiot. I was like, you're a damn idiot if you think that last night proves anything about Carson Wentz. And he laughed and he was yeah. just giving me some you know tongue in cheek there. But the Niners, look, yeah. the defense played, I think, better than, again than what the score shows. And this is just a weird but game to try to figure out because of the weather. Yep. And, and for, uh, you know, we talk about Carson Wentz showing flashes of, of brilliance and then uh, two or three games of just complete mediocrity, uh, if not worse. And I think we've seen enough from Jimmy G this year where it's kind of the same. Uh, when he gets into situations where he's forced to throw the ball and they didn't run a whole lot of play action, which is odd, yeah. um, but uh, where he's forced to throw the ball, you're going to see moments where he's brilliant. And you're going to see a lot more moments where he's just kind of, eh. Um, So I think if Trey Lance is playing that game last night, kind of favors us because he's a little bit more mobile. Hmm. He could have run a little bit more. They would have had to, they would have had to be like army against Wake Forest, I think. Yeah. I I mean, honestly, I mean, it would have been a lot of design quarterback runs or or running off play action, but um, yeah, yeah, it was, that's a tough one to lose, especially at home. No question. No question. Um, All right. So, We've gone long here with our NFL stuff, but uh, I think we're hitting the point now. We're like, look, some of these games aren't going to be as meaningful, so we will you know, kind of rush through some games quicker. But we're starting to talk about more of the storylines. We're starting to talk about more of the impact that it has behind it, which we've kind of been doing with college football the last couple of weeks with you know, college football playoff impact and some of that stuff, which is a really exciting and fun part of the pod. But it will mean that some of how we do the pod will start to adjust a little bit where – it's less going through every single game and breaking it down, but rather talking about kind of the implications as we progress through the rest of the regular season. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. I know you boys don't want to, but we got to talk about what happened on Saturday and uh, some of the other stuff here going on in a college football weekend. That is, I'll be honest. It's one that we'll probably forget by the end of the season. Not me or sorry, not you guys, me, you guys will remember this one. Cause that's, that was, that was a tough loss. But I'm, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be nice. So we'll get to that. Penn State's uh, interesting Saturday afternoon and more on the other side. If you hear me laughing as we're coming into this, it's, it's, uh, it brings me no joy to have to have this conversation with two of my best friends, two of my pals, uh, who are diehard Penn State fans. And look, we're going to get into some of the other college football stuff. There Again, this is a very non-eventful weekend. Um, and everything I say, I think, just sounds like I'm being a sarcastic asshole. And I promise I'm not. I promise I genuinely wanted to see Penn State win that game nine overtimes. That that game, 
was like watching being it was like getting your teeth pulled man like even as a guy who had no dog in the fight i just wanted my boys to be happy i was still sitting there in pain watching these two offenses who were like begging the other team please beat me and yet it took nine overtimes um there's a lot to get into here again there's some interesting stuff oklahoma almost gets upset by kansas uh Iowa State rolls. Cincinnati gets a little scare from Navy. Michigan's rolling. Uh, Oklahoma State loses to Iowa State. Oregon beats UCLA. But for the most part, the dominant headline from the college football weekend came in Happy Valley. When the 5-1 and one Penn State and Nittany Lions took on the 3-4 and four Illinois fighting a line, which lazy-ass name. <laughs> Can't even come up with a rope. Just the Illini. Were they two and five? They were two and five. They yeah, because remember they played week zero. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So yes, well let me let me set it up quick. I know you. Neither of you really want to talk about this, but I'm I'm making you because it's a podcast and that's what we do. Um, That game goes nine overtimes. Uh, Sean Clifford plays when he probably shouldn't have, but I think that goes to kind of the development issues of the backup quarterbacks. You, I'll let you guys get into that a little bit more. Um, this was a heartbreaker. This was an absolute heartbreaker. And now Penn state is looking at a, a less than 1% chance of making the college football playoff after a season that started so promisingly. Um, and it all goes back to Sean Clifford getting hurt. Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt in the Iowa game. They probably beat Iowa. They might've been able to afford a loss like this. Uh, but I also think a fully healthy Sean Clifford in this game looks differently. Uh, on the Illinois side, it's worth noting that Brett Bielema, their head coach, basically called out their entire team and threw their team under the bus last week. Uh, said that they don't have the guys to win at Illinois right now. Um, put a challenge to them. And, and, and a decision that was well, very widely criticized amongst all of college football media, and yet – it worked because they come out here and pull off the upset here. So Vito, we'll start with you, Scotty. I, I don't think Scotty wants to talk in this segment, but I, I want him to. So we'll start with, with you, Vito, and we'll, we'll let Scotty gather his thoughts. All right. First thing first, I have to say, I liked what Bert Bielma said. If you took it in the context of recruiting, which is when he was asked, he was talking about not having too deep of full players that can contribute. I think the media has done a shit job covering that all week. So that's first. Wow. Second of all, taking, yes. taking shots at I, me. I'm taking shots. Yes. Second of all, well, not just you specifically, your whole like the, no, the but I, I, w- I would argue that I disagree. Okay. I just well, I, I disagree with that assessment. I, I I I agree. He called his players out. I think it was overblown to what he was saying. He was saying we don't have next year. We won't have too deep because they'll only have nine guys on scholarship on the line. And I he think was like, the, we don't I, have a guy who could do it at each level through too deep. I, I think and, I I think there there is truth in that, but he also dropped a couple lines in there that you just can't say. Things that you just can't say when talking about the guys who are out there fighting their ass off where you're making millions and millions of dollars. So maybe, while, but while I understand that he, and the, it worked. The sentiment, 100%. But the sentiment, I agree with you. But the execution of what he said was the problem. And that's why people ran with it because you, you can't say the things that he said. But I do agree with you that the, the context surrounding it was not as bad as what he said. He just said some things that you can't, it, it just crossed the line. But that being said, like, like you said, it works. Continue. Yeah. So number one, um, 
This was a nine overtime game and the under still hit. Let's just start there. Okay. <laughs> that tells you everything you fucking need to know. It was 20, 10 to 10 going into the first overtime. Both teams were stopped each time. So it was only three points, which is how it got to 16, 16. Then neither team, we both made one, two point conversion, the same overtime at one point. Yeah. And then in the ninth, we failed and they got it. And that's how. They ended up winning 20 to 18, which is a Keep in ridiculous. Mind, the first three plays in the two point conversions were all should have been two point conversions that got yes. dropped or were just bad throws. Yeah. Agreed. I don't know why they weren't running every single time. I would take my chances for it. was incredible to me to see um, our defense play and only let up 10 points when they let up 320 yards rushing. We were not playing Navy. We gave up 320 yards rushing and only gave up 10 points. So it anyone did. wants to criticize our defense, that's an incredible effort. I understand that they were run all over. We had injuries in the interior. For, like we've had three guys now that are that are out. Fourth dropped during the game. The, the best yeah, Mustafa one, is on one the, of our on stars. But it, it in was general, in almost six to one throw to pass ratio, though. So like, yes, you're right. It's not Navy. It's not Army. But it was pretty damn close. It, like, was, they, it was very close. The way they approached yeah. the game, and they should have. Let's keep this in mind. They had the right game plan to come in and win. They they bruised us up front. And then on our side, Sean Clifford should not have played, number one. Uh, in my opinion, again, I, I think I'm looking at this in hindsight, so shame on me. Like, I hate when people do that. But at the same time, that's what we're here to do is talk about what happened. I don't think he should have played. Um, I'll say this. We only saw one half of Roberson before. I think given a full week of practice to two weeks of practice, because we had the bye, taking the reps, I think we would have seen more out of them. And that was against an Iowa defense. That was top five. This is against Illinois. I don't like that decision. I would have waited till Ohio state, but then you say, Hey, we should play him, knock off the rust before Ohio state. Like if he's really ready to come back, there are professionals that are making those decisions. I'm not one of them. It's hard to second guess that. And I hate myself for doing it, but I am. Uh, and number two, the adjustments at the line and like play calling is play calling, right? You're going to call a run, but when you get to the line, and this is specifically Sean Clifford and our coaches, which we do a lot of check with me as we look to the sideline. A lot of them, there's nine in the box. We look to the sideline and instead of running to the left, we run to the right or whatever the fuck adjustment was made, but it was embarrassing. It was bullshit. We didn't try and trap lock. We didn't get fancy. We didn't do anything unique at all. And we had very little adjustment. We sucked. The only good stretches were when we just opened it up and threw it, but then we weren't doing that. Sean Clifford missed a few. That happens to any quarterback in a game. But I have to say that on an offensive standpoint, this was an embarrassing game. I'm embarrassed the way this team was, like, honestly coached during this game, specifically on offense. I think defense and special teams played well enough to beat a lot of teams. And down. Um, and then in, in all the overtimes, like it was just a game you're not going to win if you can only and and what so for we had three four five six seven eight and nine and seven chances we got one two point conversion you're one of seven and two point conversions you deserve to lose a game. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I uh, I'll say it up front. I am done. I'm done. I'm done caring, investing as much as I do with this team because every year is the same goddamn story where we get our hopes up, we win a couple of big games in the front half of the season, we've got a shot, and then you play a game like this. I legitimately think on offense this was a case of, of 
taking 10 plays out of the playbook because you didn't want to show Ohio State anything, like the most basic 10 plays you could draw up, and we're just going to run those. And we should beat Illinois with that. Granted, I don't think that's a terrible strategy because Illinois is the worst team in Big Ten, <clears throat> except for this game. On defense, like this is a game you could give up 300-plus rushing yards and still win the game because they weren't doing anything through the air. Like, no, like go ahead and get yours on the ground. We're, we come up with a couple of stops, that's fine. But that's part of the problem on defense is that they let Illinois get – they were 50% on third down. They had 18 third down attempts and converted nine of them. Illinois did. And yeah. I just I'm, – I'm done. Like, I don't understand how you can't draw up one play to, to beat them, particularly in overtime when you have a shorter field – and you're just feeding their momentum beast on defense, and and you can't come up with one play. You're the number seven team in the country, and you can't come up with one play to get into the end zone. I just I'm done. I'm done. And I think if I'm being frank, I think everyone on that coaching staff is to blame. Every single one of them. And I've given I'm I'm do I'm calling this out now. I'm giving James Franklin one more chance. One because we have the number one quarterback recruit of 2022 coming in next year and drew Aller. If you can't do anything with him, just get out of my life. Just go, just go to USC or LSU or, or whatever big time uh, Michigan state probably. Uh, Cause Mel Tucker will leave and go somewhere else. Uh, whatever big time program you want to go to, go ahead, go. Because if you can't do it with the number one quarterback recruit coming in, I'm done. I'm done investing my time in, a program that gets right up to that line every year and then finds a way for particularly on the coaching staff to screw it all up because there's no godly way. Why are we going to overtime against Illinois? Why? Like that should have been a 40 point game at halftime. What are we doing? Pick it up. Like go, go beat Ohio state next week. I don't care. It doesn't matter anymore. I think if this game gets played two weeks ago, they do. I, I think that mm-hmm. – so we had Matt McGloin on our show today. You guys know Matt McGloin very well. Yeah, great Penn. podcast. Paydirt podcast is really excellent Penn State football podcast. Great, great podcast. Great uh, radio host for SiriusXM. Works on Big Ten Radio. Um, we had Matt McGloin on today, and I was, I was talking to Matt off air. Uh, I told him about you guys. I said two – I said I was at pop- two weddings with him this year. Really? Yeah. How about that? Yeah. I wish I could have name dropped him. I was talking about. I said two guys I do a podcast with. I said they're diehard Penn State guys. I said my family's full of Penn Staters. Grandfather played there. I said I got all these Penn State ties. I said everyone's hurt, and I was like, I'm going to be answering a lot of questions. A lot of people come to me. They're like, Hey, you work in college football, you know, media. He's like, You know, a lot of people have been coming. He's like, What happened? I said, What can I tell? Them? And he said to me, He goes, Man, the biggest problem with this team. And you got to understand, too, Matt is a is, is not the most uh, eccentric radio host. He's much more like, you know, he's going to kind of get the points out. He's going to be good analyst, uh, but he's not like, you know, super entertaining guy. And this was the most animated I've ever heard him when he was on our show today. And he told me, he said, the biggest fault with this team is not having a prepared, not having a, a preparation plan, not having a backup, not having something ready for if something happens to Sean Clifford. He was like, the number one thing with this team this year 
was Sean Clifford. He's like, if Sean Clifford is the Sean Clifford of two years ago, not the Sean Clifford of last year, if Sean Clifford can stay healthy, if Sean Clifford can be consistent, he said everything about this team fell on the shoulders of Sean Clifford and Penn state put him in a position to fail on Saturday. And that is what I would say to you guys is that James Franklin gets a lot of heat for not being the best in-game coach. But this is the first time I think it's fair to say Sean uh, James Franklin was bad not in-game, was bad in preparation, was bad in not having a contingency plan set. And there's an argument to be made. Vito, I know you talked about, right, the adjustments, right, the frustration. I can tell you right now, Roberson's not doing a better job at adjusting towards defensive adjustments better than that. He's not going to be able to get his offensive line squared away than that because the brain is something that Sean Clifford, that wasn't affected with Sean Clifford's injury. And not having a backup who could come in and do simple adjustments, not asking him to be, you know, this world beater, this Tom Brady, this brilliant cerebral mind, but just basic adjustments, which is what Roberson failed to do in the game against Iowa miserably. Mm -hmm. And after two weeks of preparation, coming off of a bye, Two, day, two weeks, 14 days to get your team ready to come in here with a backup quarterback against an inferior team and beat them at home is a failure on the part of the coaching staff. So both you guys hit it. It sucks. It, it absolutely sucks for Penn State fans. And I feel for both <laughs> of you guys because I think this team is, is a really good team. And it also, it sucks the thing that no matter how much preparation goes into it, you can't control, which is injuries, right? That's the number one thing in football that you'll never be able to control is injuries. And think, it sucks uh, that Penn State is put in this position right now. I agree. I, I think what's tough, too, from my standpoint, is seeing how well the defense is playing at every level. Like, the D-line's doing what they can. Yes, we got ran all over. But they're it's doing the what they can. best defense I've seen at Penn State almost probably uh, – one of in my lifetime. Same. And, One and of. like the secondary is elite. The linebackers are playing better than that. Like they've gotten better and better as they've gone on. The reason why people might say, well, how are they playing better and better if they got ran on 320 yards in regulation? Because the linemen were getting to them. Our defensive line, you know, had so many injuries. Like you're saying, they couldn't, they couldn't stop a guard or a center. And, and they were doing these double pulls. It was really, it was a good game plan where the tackle, yeah. like you couldn't get a hat. guy. They were it was trying like to a run a version sweep. of yeah. army's offense. Yeah. Like they, they were, they were using fullbacks and guards and extra. There was even a, a point There's seven in linemen. that game where, yeah. Yeah, where they had seven <laughs> offensive linemen on the field. So Illinois, you know, Brett Bielema went deep into his back to try to pull this out. But at the same time, there's, I guess, I get. There's only so much you can do when you're going up against seven offensive linemen, six offensive linemen, and all this stuff on a regular basis. But Satowski was not beating you at any point in this game. So if I'm Penn State, I think there should be a certain level. Not wouldn't say blame the defense because the defense is not the problem here. Obviously, the offensive side is is a big problem. But I mean, Sean Clifford with his sacks, negative 28 rushing yards. The yeah. offensive line didn't show up. And on the defensive side, sell out. You got one of the best secondaries in football. Let them go one-on-one. Let them go one-on-one. Fuck safety help because Sadowski's not beating you, and their wide receiver shouldn't be beating your cornerbacks. And even if they have seven offensive linemen in, stack the – put eight. Put nine guys in the box and go one-on-one on on the outside because that would have been the way to try to beat them. And and they just – they didn't do it. No, but, again, like – I know time of possession, everything, and how important it is, but I, I still feel, yes, they didn't play a perfect game on defense. 
but letting up if anyone at any level in college was to say at the end of regulation we'll get you you gave up 10 points would you take that in a heartbeat our offense should be able to score 13 fucking points absolutely no 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 questions asked and and so like at the end of the day yes we could have done better but our offense i just feel like it's such a failure to the program and to the fans um and and here's why i say that it's it's to your point the preparation the not being ready for anything else and not changing shit when you have nine guys in the box eight guys in the box it's almost like they almost wanted to limit clifford's throw count it looks like but then he was scrambling and holding the ball art what in all honesty, too, like he had a couple misses. He just wasn't himself. I don't know how many practice reps he got. I know they said he practiced on Thursday, I believe. Yeah. But like something, I don't know what was going on, but it was enough that like uh, it, it really failed to produce an effort that as a fan I can be proud of. Yeah. And that hasn't happened often. Like last year we had a few of those, and that was the first time in a very long time. And speaking about McGloin, like even McGloin's team – you know, it was after the Sandusky, everything came out and, and O'Brien came as our coach and it was McGloin's last year and he t- helped McGloin develop into an NFL quarterback, but uh, at least, you know, made the circuit for a little bit, but you never were embarrassed by the effort the team put out. Yeah. And I think this was the first time I was embarrassed. It was like, Hey, Hey, Franklin and, and the whole coaching staff, go play, go play a hundred reps of NCAA football. Just learn how to adjust on the line, what to call. And I know they have them and I'm being facetious yeah. because obviously yeah. they know what they're doing better than a fan, but it looked like it was like, guys, audible here, like change something up where you keep doing the same shit to the same formations. And it, it did feel it like they like were beating a dead wall. horse. Yeah, yeah. It, it did. And, you know, again, and, and we can wrap this up. I have one last Penn State related question for you guys here before we wrap up the pod. Um, but the, the one last thing I'll kind of throw in here is, is, this is the the biggest failure of, of Penn State in this game is what Matt McGoin said when he was on the air with us and talking to our host, which is that it essentially pick whatever percentage you want to say of Sean Clifford, right? Is, is 65% of Sean Clifford really better than your backup quarterback? And I think that's where Penn State was at. Probably. I think Sean Clifford getting a day of practice and then a walkthrough which even still Thursday practices in college football are not particularly tough after not playing for two weeks. If 65% of Sean Clifford is better than your backup quarterback, that's an indictment on your coaching staff. It's an indictment on your sitch. It's an indictment on James Franklin. And it's frustrating. It's absolutely frustrating. And I feel for you guys. Um, Last thing here on Penn state, Scotty, you said this, right? They got it. Number outside, it was Quinn Ewers, but he reclassified. He's now at Ohio State now. So you guys have the number one quarterback recruit for next year's incoming class. If he stays, I wouldn't want to come here after that freaking performance. Is James Franklin going to be the coach? Yes. Will James Franklin be I there so. to greet yeah. him at the door? Yeah. yeah, I think this is the, like I said, the one last, I think a lot of Penn State fans feel this way because I don't, I don't want to see him go. I know what he's capable of. I've seen it in the last seven years. Um, and that effort that they put out in, in, a, in the coaching room for that game on Saturday was not it. It was not even close to what it's been. Um, so I think, you know, to your point of, of wondering whether, or Matt McGloin's point, I guess, of is 65% of Sean Clifford better than the rest of your quarterbacks? I, you got to trust in your recruiting, but knowing that you have the number one recruit coming in like that changes 
that a little bit. And I hope they're not as complacent with that, but I think it is James Franklin um, trying to coach him up and your sitch too, trying to coach him up a little bit um, recruits when, when he does mean, get to happy Valley recruits no. mean nothing. If you don't have the coach, which I'm not, look, exactly. I get he's the highest, he's the highest rated quarterback you guys have had since what Hackenberg. Yeah. So I, I get like, it's a, it's a big, it's a total different ball game. And hopefully with a guy who maybe has more talent and what they've made out of Sean Clifford, who was a relatively high ranking recruit coming in as well is impressive. Um, but you guys may not want to hear this. I don't think he comes back to Penn state. That was the thought I had during the game with the, the lack of adjustments. If you're going to get that complacent, either you, like I said, only open the, the playbook, for the first 10 plays that you have drawn up or Franklin's got one foot out the door already. I, I don't, I don't think I was gonna say, I don't think Franklin's a yeah. one foot out the one foot out the door kind of guy. I, no. I, I don't think that I get how it feels that way as a fan, but I, I, oh, don't, I don't, I actually think that fans are saying stuff like that and that we didn't try hard enough and all that. I think it's disrespectful to the program. I'll say this. I, I'm not a fan of the, so-and-so wanted it more thing, especially yeah. at the NFL or college, you know, college level, there's a little more validity to it, but definitely not in, in the NFL. Um, I mean, you're going up against other 200, 300 pound guys and you're, you're, you're working your ass off against the players. You're all trying. Um, Illinois came in with, with a special sauce that I don't think Penn state was prepared for. And maybe that was to, to recap and go back to the beginning of the conversation. Maybe those Brett Bielema going public and, and lighting a fire underneath them. We'll see. Um, again, a couple other quick things with college football and what was an overall pretty boring weekend. Um, Cincinnati holds on. They're still number two in the AP. Uh, Oklahoma gets barely gets by a scare against Kansas. I don't know if you guys saw that play where he took the ball from the running back on fourth yes. down. I've never seen that before on any that level. That was so of cool. Caleb Williams is, is a stud, but I will say this, and I made this point last week when Scotty and I were talking, and I, and I feel even better about it after seeing this game, unless this is a catalyst for Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma has two more losses coming up their way by the time season's end. I don't think Oklahoma is in the college football playoff conversation. I think Caleb Williams looks spectacular. I think they lose in Bedlam against Oklahoma State, and whether it's Baylor, whether it's uh, – they got because they got Baylor, they got Oklahoma State, uh, they have one other game, and then they have the the uh, Big Twelve Championship. Let me let me pull the schedule up because I'm I'm blanking on who the the third one is for them. But they the end of their season is brutal. Yeah, they got at Baylor, so they go home against Texas Tech. Who, by the way, for just news and notes, Texas Tech fired Matt Wells today, their head coach. Pretty shocking decision, um, but I guess they have someone else in mind. Uh, and then they go at Baylor home against Iowa state and then they're at Oklahoma state and then they have the big 12 championship. I think they dropped two of those games. Uh, and I don't think we talk about the Sooners as a college football playoff team. And I think this showed why, because Kansas, a team who is one in five going into this game, uh, the fact that they actually ended up, you know, basically being in it until the fourth quarter was unbelievable. So I think Oklahoma is in some trouble. Um, Ohio State looked incredible against Indiana. C.J. Stroud, I mean, they put up 30 points in the second quarter. Um, Alabama, after a slow start, beat the doors off of Tennessee. And then the other big game, big upset, was Iowa State. And, Scotty, you and I, we talked about this on Friday's pod. Uh, I, I took Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State was a seven-point underdog as the number eight team in the country on the road. I thought that line was crazy. They end up losing by three, so they did cover – um, but I thought Oklahoma State would win the game. Iowa State holds on to win. Brock Purdy looked awesome. Great turnout for them. Oregon 
holds on by a thread against UCLA. The Pac-12 is in – I mean, there's one one-loss team left in the Pac-12, and it's Oregon. So if Oregon drops any other game for the rest of the season, Pac-12 is out of the college football playoff once again. And then after that, you're talking about Ole Miss handles LSU pretty well. Uh, Notre Dame beats up on USC. This game was really interesting. It was a game we talked about a bunch and ended up being honestly kind of close to what we were saying, Scotty. Wake Forest and Army. Uh, Army put up 56 points against Wake Forest, which yeah. if you had told me Army scored 56 against Wake Forest, I would have told you that Army won the game, but not so fast because Sam Hartman and them boys down there in uh, Wake Forest can put up some points, and they put up a 70 spot against the goal. Oh, is it Black Knights, right, of Army? Uh, so they win that game 70 to 56. We did see an upset in the ACC. Miami somehow, uh, you know, this kid who who came in for who's like the third was the third Van Dyke, third string quarterback for Miami. Looks like he's been the best quarterback they've had all year, including De'Ara King. They knock off NC State, so we can eliminate another team. I'll, I'll and then Pitt ends up knocking off Clemson. Um, Clemson benches DJ Uyunglele in this game. Right now, interesting tidbit for you, the number one and number two earners in NIL going into the season, Spencer Rattler and DJ Uyunglele. Third was Bryce Young. Number one and number two, both benched by week eight in college football. Uh, I would would (laughs) expect to see DJ starting in the next game, but Clemson's got some serious issues. And then Wisconsin pulled off the upset against Purdue uh, and looked really good doing so. Um, last thing here before we wrap up the pod, I asked this to Scotty last week and uh, I'll, I'll put it to you Vito and and Scotty, you can chime in if you feel any differently. Um, we get down to the end of the year and let's say Oklahoma does have the two losses. Oklahoma is out say Ohio state. They already have one loss. So it's all it's going to take is Penn state, Michigan state, or Michigan. One of those three to knock them off before the big 10 championship and Ohio state's out of the college football playoff. And now we're, we're staring down the barrel of an undefeated Cincinnati team and an undefeated Wake Forest team. Who gets into the college football playoff? Both. If there's one yeah. spot. Because right now, so, all right, let me. SEC gets, <clears throat> Georgia is going. But if Alabama, Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, then they'll get both. How close is that game? Well, all right, let's in your in this example, let's say it's close. So both, both of those go. guys get in. Whatever. All right. And then you'll have, you know, either Oklahoma or or, or the Big Ten champion, right? So like so Oklahoma's out. Let's say let's ACC just say Oklahoma's out it. and let's say Big yeah. Ten ends up getting let's say Ohio State ends Ohio up getting State. in with with one loss or whatever. You know, or one of those two, Oklahoma or Ohio State, one of those two will end up making the college football playoff. So you got one spot left for Cincinnati or Wake Forest. Both are undefeated. I think Cincinnati's record, I think their, their resume would be better, uh, especially yeah. with Notre Dame beating up on USC this week. Um, th- there's there's a lot to be said for the Cincinnati team, despite a tough-fought win against Navy. Uh, I think you have to put in Cincinnati. But it's a Power 5 undefeated conference champion, and to put in Cincinnati ahead of them. And this is why next week when we get our first college football playoff rankings, yeah. where they put Cincinnati and where they put Wake Forest, is going to matter so freaking much. Because I'm telling you now, there's 0% chance. Not zero. Maybe we'll say 1% chance 
Cincinnati's the number two team in the college football playoff rankings. I would say one. zero. Yeah, yeah. There's no way. I think that they, I think they'll be in the top four because I think you have to put them in the top four. I do. Point. I think they'll be around three or four. But, but there's I no way they're number two. Situation. No, I could see this being a situation too where they're number four or three and they ride it out all year. Uh, then like, um, Bama even beats Georgia and they both go right. Yeah. Or or um, and so they jump. Or you even have a situation where Bama's ahead of them and like. Cincinnati wins, but Wake Forest is below them. But they put more emphasis on an ACC championship than than right, like a, a group of five championship. And so that's where it could swing too. So you're right; it absolutely matters where they're placed. I personally think that Cincinnati is the better team. Um, they've they've had some tough opponents. Even th- just their conference is tougher. Navy isn't isn't a sit down team. I, I think the, says I that. Say, Navy's I think underrated. The, I think the American and and the uh, the ACC this year are not that far apart. I, I would think agree. the ACC is a little bit better because I think they just have more talent in the ACC, but I don't think they're that far apart at all. So I'm interested to see, and I'm going to this game and I can't wait. It's the weekend before Thanksgiving. SMU goes to Cincinnati and that is going to be a very defining game for, for really the American conference as well as Cincinnati because well, that's the last have big to, test. And, and not only that, they're going to have to play again, what, two weeks, a week later in the, in yeah, the, probably. A, the AAC championship game. So Cincinnati I, will have a chance to beat SMU twice in addition to everything they've already done this year. And if SMU can go undefeated the rest of the time and that happens, um, you know, that would be special. Now, now I know this is wild. What happens if SMU beats Cincinnati twice? Hmm. So, and they're undefeated. So, so far, Wake Forest has been given the group of five treatment, right? Where it's yes, like, they how, have. That's like, a good point. Like, cause they've been hanging around there and, and it's crazy when you see an undefeated team in a power five conference is ranked at their highest right now. They're ranked 13th in the country. This is the highest that wake Forest has been all year and wake Forest is ranked 13th in the country. So they've been given like how we treat coastal Carolina or Cincinnati in years past or BYU. The problem for SMU is that SMU has been treated that way all season. And the one leg up that Cincinnati has, which I think SMU now, again, if they beat the number three team in the country, Cincinnati, then they'll probably jump up to somewhere in the top 10 ish. And then if they beat Cincinnati again, a week later, two weeks later, then you have to give them a certain level of credibility. Um, it's a really good question. I, I don't, I don't think they're going to give them the benefit of the doubt because in the college football playoff rankings, that initial ranking matters so much how high the committee puts them. that, that would, that has been, and this is what I'll say this too. I think this year we have a first in one of two ways. Either we have our first two-loss Power 5 champion that gets into the playoff because that's never happened, or we have our first group of five champion in a college football playoff. One of those two things I think actually happens this year. Man, it's, it's going to be – this is going to be such a wild finish. I don't know what we're going to have. So I, I also just looked this up. So just to, to add to this, and this is on teamrankings.com. They have a bunch of things about – the strength of schedule and everything like that. It's one of the, one of the sites I've, I've used before Cincinnati's 37 in terms of strength of schedule. Again, that Notre Dame one is huge. I don't think Damn. people understand. That's 37 is pretty high, higher than it's what I would have very thought. high same. And wake force is 47. Um, so just to put that in perspective and some teams like Baylor is actually 48. So when you, when you think about some of these teams, you know, that's where they're at. Like Cincinnati is, is 36 right behind them in strength of schedule so far as, um, Michigan State, 37. They're undefeated, too. So it's pretty interesting to see, you know, style points and how those all fit in. But in terms of strength of schedule, Cincinnati has scheduled 
a great out of conference opponent and the conference has done well enough for them to deserve, um, you know, entry to the college football playoff. So they could ill afford a Notre Dame loss in the last five games of the year because I, uh, yeah, that I just kind of devalues the, the win that Cincinnati has. Yeah. Cincinnati right now is the biggest Notre Dame fan in the country. Yeah. But by, 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 yeah. by far. And it's gonna be it's gonna be tight. So to recap the AP poll right now, just to kind of get everyone caught up, and then we'll we'll wrap up the pod. Georgia number one, unanimous. Cincy, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State. That's your top five. After that, you got Michigan, Oregon, Michigan State, Iowa, Mississippi, Ole Miss. For those who don't know, and then it's Notre Dame, Kentucky, Wake Forest, AM, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Pitt, Auburn. Now Pitt is also an interesting one that's lingering around too. But they lost to Western Michigan. And that's not something you can just forget, no. you know, and it sucks because Kenny Pickett should be in the Heisman conversation right now. And he's not because even in that loss, he went six touchdowns to one intercept. Uh, and then yes. as you go down right now, SMU is 19. So mm-hmm. as, if SMU is undefeated, my guess is they'll probably crawl their way up to around 15 to 13, somewhere in that ballpark by the end of the season. And well, especially with the win in Cincy, they would jump top 10, I would think. But I just mean by the time Cincy and SMU play for the first time. Oh, okay. They, yes. Yeah. yeah. They would and they need up. help from Michigan and Michigan State, some of those Big Ten undefeateds who are lingering. Which will start to cancel each other out, and there'll be some of that. But yeah, I don't know. Well, man. This I mean, weekend. Yeah. And I'll tell you this too if Georgia beats Alabama, and Alabama's got two losses, and then if Ohio State loses just one of those three games, I mean, Ohio State has to be Penn State, Michigan State, and Michigan. All three of which are going to be tough games to win. Yeah, I know you guys aren't high on your lines right now, but they can absolutely go into Columbus and win that next week, especially if, if Sean Clifford is healthier next week. I think Michigan State is a team that can knock off Ohio State. But the way that Ohio State looked on uh, on Saturday night, they're going to be a tough team to knock off. Tough team to knock off. Um, all right, that's all we got. That's the pod. No random life shit. We'll try to get to it on Thursday. Uh, or on Friday's pod, whenever you listen to it, it's just days and time, and time is a spectrum, and whatever Black people surfing. say. Yes, exactly. Um, appreciate you all out there for listening. Like, rate, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Uh, and I'll tell you again, show this to somebody who's never seen it before, because I feel like every time I see that, we get an uptick in numbers. So keep doing your thing. Keep doing that. We appreciate you guys, as always. The pod's been doing uh, really well, so thank you guys. Thank you to both of you guys. The traveling man, the rambling man, our, our boy Vito making time for us. He'll be in a different city the next time we talk to him. And uh, Scotty, Scotty's flu game. You're like Scotty Pippen with a migraine, except you actually play. So uh, for the boys, <laughs> I'm Jeff. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back later on the week. Have a wonderful, wonderful final week in October as we approach true fall season and get towards the cold months. And we'll talk to you guys on Friday. Take it easy, everybody.